Hey, it's Aidan here. Just before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about something new. It's called the Magician's Business Group. We've just opened up a Facebook group designed to help you guys as entertainers grow and improve your entertainment business. So if that is you, if you are an entertainer that wants help growing and improving your entertainment business, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you right there. Or if you're like me, have the Facebook app on your phone, open it up and search for the Magician's Business Group and you'll go straight there. Anyways, back to the episode. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the TSM podcast. My name is Aidan O'Sullivan and I am not joined by my very good friend and co-host Mr. Ashley Green today. Reason being, this is not a brand new episode. Instead, this is a Just the Tip Megasode. At the end of every quarter, one of the things that we like to do is basically bundle up all of these little mini bite-sized Just the Tip episodes and create this one long episode with all the others back to back so that you can pop your headphones in and go for a nice long walk and enjoy all of the different concepts and, and revisit all of these and maybe pop your headphones in and grab your notepad and pen and prepare to take a load of notes to take your entertainment business and your life overall in to a brand new direction or realistically do whatever the heck you want because we can't make you do a thing but the idea here is that we're going to be rolling for the next sort of two and a half hours back to back all of the little just the tips that we've shared over the past three months so that you can enjoy them all in one place uh, at your leisure with that said i'm not going to say anything else let's uh, roll into the first just the tip episode of this quarter just the tip number 14 Hello and welcome back. This is Just The Tip, a little midweek episode of the TSM podcast. My name is Aidan O'Sullivan and I am joined by none other than the fantastic Mr. Ashley Green. Good day. I love that he's still doing the hand signs, everybody. He's still doing the, the waves and everything, even though he knows this is a podcast and we're not recording video. Fantastic. So today we're talking about preparing for gigs. And this is something that, I mean, we're all doing. If we're all doing any form of gig or any form of performance anywhere, we need to get prepared for it. Otherwise, we don't, well, we're not doing anything really. We're just, we're just winging it. And that's, even that is loose in between. But we want to give a, a little idea, plant a little seed in your imagination on how to actually prepare for gigs. And what we're essentially saying from the get-go is that if you're not already preparing for your gigs, maybe even a week in advance, there's a problem. There's a room for error. And if you're not doing this, well, actually, this just happened to you literally just the other day. What happened? Tell us the story. Exactly. That is where the idea for this episode came from. Some practical advice that happened in my life. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I've been out of the game for a while because I've been doing virtual shows, virtual entertainment, smashing it out with corporate. Had a live gig come in the other day. I know, bizarre, in person, and uh, it's completely different. There's no cameras, there's no none of that. I'm bringing my live in-person props. I'm wearing different types of clothing, no more slippers, actual shoes. Everything was different. There was different material, different props, electronics with batteries and Sharpies and all of this sort of stuff. I'll be honest, Aiden. even now saying it, I get confused, and I was so flustered. I book out usually three hours to prep for a gig. It took so much more longer than that because the reason was I was flustered. I didn't really know what was happening. I had no idea which way was south or north or left or right. I started thinking, wait, what do I need? What effects am I doing? Uh, what props do I need to bring? Do I need to bring a table? Do I need to bring a chair? Do I need to bring clothes? But I, oh my gosh, uh, the clothing. And I got so confused. On top of that, Aiden, I went to leave for the gig. I noticed pens had run out. 
in the space, unfortunately, due to COVID. And also batteries have run out in props. But it's not a COVID error. It's not, oh, I haven't been doing close-up for a while in person. It does fall down to that problem of, I didn't prep for it in time. Because if I prepped for it a week in advance, I would have known to buy new pens. I would have known to buy new batteries. I would have known exactly what I needed to do that bleeding show so that I'm not flustered around and then driving like a madman to get to a gig in time. That is such an important thing to to bear in mind. Like These, these things can just happen naturally. Like It doesn't just take uh, a ton of pandemic-related issues to cause your primistic batteries to die that's just natural uh, a natural thing like we wear aura rings slightly out of context but we wear aura rings and there are days that we forget to put uh, put them on charge and as a result the rings just don't track our, our, our sleep and the following day when we try to check into it it's like oh the battery's dead we forgot to check that it's a simple little mistake that, that we do in that context but it happens all the time in magic and especially if people use these gimmicks and use these approaches i know that before i've been stung by uh, t- grabbing what i thought was an impression pad and it wasn't it was just the switched version like the completely clean regular normal notepad and i'm sitting here thinking god damn I- i've prepared this routine based on this specific thing and now this one thing in this case the the wrong prop has just caused that complete demise and it's such a bizarre thing to think that in just the space of one week, we can eliminate all of these problems. Literally 100% of these problems. So actually, when we say a week, what could people be doing, say, seven days before a gig, before a performance? Oh, putting a system in place so that you don't make these mistakes. We've mentioned systems a lot on the podcast and elsewhere. Having that in place, it makes it so much easier. We get nervous on the day of the gig, and when we're nervous, it's just added nerves with flustering. Heck, I'm saying that because that was literally me yesterday. (laughs) What I would suggest is this. If you've got a CRM system or not, follow this. You've got the details in for the gig, in your CRM system or your diary. You're going to write down in there what you're doing. Are you doing your close-up? Are you doing your show? What are you wearing as well? That's an important one, an important decision, because otherwise, I know people right now are thinking, oh, come on, Ashley, you don't need to tell me what I'm wearing. I was yesterday faffing around thinking, oh, this shirt isn't ironed. Oh, my God, I better wear this shirt instead. And it was more faff time, more nervousness. So prepping down to what you're going to wear is going to be really important into this. What you're actually going to be performing in your close-up and show, going through the specific types of effects, the specific tricks and that. And also what props are required to make those tricks happen. And then within those props, what sneaky things do you need? Such as batteries and actually checking things like pens. Making a specific checklist of absolutely every single thing that you need, that you need to bring to the event. Do beforehand, i.e. make props like I was doing yesterday. Oh my gosh, my window envelope's broken. I need to make a new one. Not what you need just before a gig. So making all of this and planning that out. If you can write everything down and be super crystal clear and then have the checklist on top of that, what do you need to check? Means that literally when you put your bags of props together, you have a checklist of everything you need because our brains are horrible microchips that can't remember anything. And if you've got a busy diary or not, your brains are juggling loads of stuff. There's no way you can remember that show from the other show, from what you're doing down the mates with your pubs. By having that there, you can literally just pull it up and think, right, it's a week before. Let's get ready. 
Do I have everything? Is everything working? Brilliant. Check. Done. Then you can put it all into your prop bag. There's that, there's that, there's that. There's my clothes ready. Now the event can come round and you can quickly look into your bag, into your case and think, yep, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that. I know all of this is working because I've literally checked it, because I've remembered to charge it, I've remembered to do all of this and my clothes are laid out. I am no longer, no more nervous for the event. I'm not flustering around and therefore you've saved yourself time and energy in the process so you can prioritise it on doing more important things. That's incredibly important. I think one step to go even more than that, if you don't know what you're actually going to be performing at a specific event, maybe you're somebody who likes to go through material churn and you're always trying new things at different events week by week. If that's still uh, your, your cup of tea, then maybe you aren't able to put something in your CRM system yet or you can't put a note to say, this is exactly what I'm going to be performing. However, providing you put something and set yourself that that reminder, that system in place to actually check this thing even if your your material has changed say you want to perform i, I don't know ambitious card followed by spongebob mentalism if that's if that's your cup of tea write into us and let's know um but if you, you want to perform an ambitious card routine followed by spongebob mentalism and what you need for those routines is two decks of cards one red and one blue followed by four medium-sized red sponge balls be really clear on that put that in your crm when it comes down to a week before the gig, if you don't want to perform the ambitious card and the sponge balls now, you've still got that mental reminder to, hey, I need to plan out what the heck I'm going to perform and stick to that and prepare for that. It gives you that flexibility to almost set yourself the reminder. And that's probably something that I would even say uh, on top of that is probably more important than just logging it in your CRM system is to schedule uh, a meeting in your Kyrie diary, Kyrie, I don't know what I'm talking about there, in your calendar or, or your diary, block out that period of time to actually check that uh, that process of what do you need is everything ready actually block that out ahead of time a week in advance so that you again you show up there it's in the diary you've got no messing around it's a non-negotiable for you you just have to get that done what I would probably even do is I would probably even go so far as to say do it the day before as well the actual day not the evening because then you're going to be rushing around overnight you don't want to do that you want to get a good night's sleep but instead block out uh, uh, another period of time the day before the show to just check back in has anything broken vanished or gone missing or in any weird freak accident before i'm supposed to be using it tomorrow no okay fine that's great it's all in that one place so that the day of again as you said there actually you can just get up go no rushing no stressing because that's really going to damage your performance on so many levels actually being completely free and flexible to go and do all of that stuff it's gonna be so much easier and it's not going to take as long to actually get prepared it's not going to take as long to do that second check the day before because if it's all in one place it's all in one place you don't have to collect the props you don't have to get all of your set list together your script or your whatever whatever it is for you it's just so much easier to set those reminders ahead of time and stick with it Exactly that. Preparation and planning is key. And I hope this really saves you from awkward, uh, problematic situations. But the main key element from here today is get planned. Write down everything that you actually need. Check in with it a week before. And then the day before, just make sure, okay, nothing's moved, nothing's broken, so that the day of the gig, you can just pick up and go. No more last minute thinking and planning and rushing around get prepared and then you'll really be 
hassle-free because you've saved so much time. You've planned out everything, you're now efficient. So hopefully this helps you. And if you've got any more advice, I would encourage you to write into us, let us know, drop us an email, reach out on social media, and let us know what do you do to prep for your gigs so that you don't make these mistakes. And for anybody that is sat lurking in the TSM network, loving everything that we've got going on there, that's our social learning network, come and let us know. What do you do to prepare for those gigs? You'll see a a post or a question the day this episode comes out live. Come and share your thoughts in the comments and help other people use this stuff and get prepared because it's such a time saver. And if you want to come and join that conversation, head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash community. You'll be able to sign up and get all of the login details to come and join us in that network. But until next time, stay safe and we'll see you very soon. Hello, it's Ashley and Aiden here from The Successful Mentalist, and this is another midweek Just The Tip episodes. I'm really enjoying these episodes at the moment because it's a nice, short, condensed idea or thought of the week to keep you guys on track within entertainment overall that covers mainly the four pillars of TSM, mindset, business, performance skills, and even health. But today, we're going to be talking about the big question that's been on our mind a lot. It's been on the minds of pretty much the vast majority of people we've been speaking to from all aspects of all over the world and it's also been on the minds a lot of our learn to thrive clients and that is should you go full-time within your entertainment career well Ashley, the question is should you go full-time within your entertainment career oh god the pressure you're putting me on the spot um look the the simple answer to this and It is this. If you think full-time is going to be like a regular job where you're going to get routine income, if you think full-time is going to be where you have routine uh, workflows and routine time off and you think it's going to be the same as that, or you think that it's going to be fun because you're going to have your hobby and it's going to be a paid hobby and it's going to be the best thing in the world and it's like you get to do that 24-7, no, you should not go full-time if that is your current state of mind. And I think what's also important on that is that if you think that magic is going to be free, it's going to be flexible, it's going to be the best uh, potential opportunity for you because you've got so much uh, open to you, you're just going to be doing your entertainment stuff, it's going to be amazing, it's just going to be fabulous, it's all going to be fun and games, and you're just going to be performing loads more, and you're going to be doing gigs and getting paid. And yeah, if you think it's really an amazing thing, then I think as well that you should probably not go full time. And the reason we're saying this is because we've seen it. We've seen it in performers that have gone full time and they've a few years in, a few more years in, maybe even a couple of decades actually into the, the performing and they get really unmotivated and they feel this significant drop of I'm full time, but I'm struggling right now because magic is my only thing. I quit my job because I didn't want to do all of that stuff in favor of doing magic, the thing that I love, my my hobby. It's the best thing in the world because now it's my life. Well, the most common thing that people say word for word is, oh, yeah, magic is like a job now. And they're incredibly demote. No one's saying like, oh, yeah, magic is like a job now. It's like, yeah, it feels like a job now. It's really like depressively said almost like a an underwhelming of like ugh, the thing that i wanted it's here i was speaking to a uh, a well-known magician the other day actually uh, on this and and i asked him you know i never really asked what do you do outside of magic and he went well no i do magic is is what i do i do magic full time i don't really do anything else 
But the thing is, if you decide to do magic as a job for income, you have to treat everything as work and play. If you're going to make money from it, what else are you going to be doing so you can distance yourself? Because that distance between there will still keep it fun when you're doing magic and turning it into a money-orientated thing. Because when you start putting money into the mix and starting to go further with that, you get obsessive over those numbers. And if you don't have the right framework and right state of mind, you end up, like Aiden said, losing that motivation. But if you can have something to switch off, something different, where it's fun, you can play and have some other hobby or some other thing on the side, whatever that might be, you can have two things which you distance. And that means you can just have so much more fun with everything that you do in your life overall. And what we're, what's really important is that we're not just advocating for the whole thing of, yeah, go full time in performing so you can set up another business and then you can make a load of money out of that business because, again, that's not as easy as you might think it is. But we're not saying go and jump into the full world of entrepreneurship here. It's like what you hit on there, Ashley, in terms of a hobby, actually having some other interest to occupy your time and your state of mind is so much more important than actually just jumping in and then trying to do loads and loads of things. Heck, our entertainment business is transformed when we set up TSM. Like we decided to make that leap over a period of time of, hey, let's just jump into the full time entertainment world. And it was was not what we thought it was. It was a big, bizarre, weird, uncomfortable environment for a period of time. And heck, when we started talking about this whole philosophy of you should only go full time if magic isn't the only thing that you're doing, this whole approach, this whole philosophy is something that we actually shared with our Learn to Thrive clients and uh, take Hoshin, for example. Now, Oshin came into the uh, Learn to Thrive course and he really wanted to actually become a full-time entertainer and a lot more from his uh, gigs, individual gigs and his performance career overall. And we actually dug a little bit deeper and we found out what he really was passionate about. And he's actually now sort of not pivoting, but he's shifting his approach to his entertainment business so that not only is he performing incredible shows at the perfect amount of uh, cash, at the perfect frequency for a sustainable entertainment career, but he's also now adding these other opportunities to chase like corporate talks. And he's also chasing this other opportunity to help people actually with a bigger um, sort of uh, challenge actually come out of their shells and, and move from that introverted uh, perspective, actually in boosting in that confidence. That's something that he went through a personal journey on and wanted to share that message more. And what he's actually done now is he's gone... Uh, well, he's, was planned, he's shifted to go full-time in entertainment, like primary source of income kind of thing, so that he could do more of these seminars, these uh, talks, these opportunities to help other people. Like That was a big shift from what he wanted originally. 100%. And to give Matt for another example, entertainment, bang, full-time, but what you mentioned, he has other things on the side. He has been fascinated since a child with the police force. So he's doing that as well and also has a fantastic hobby within scouting. So he likes to look after and manage scouting groups throughout Kent. So he's doing magic, but with these other things. And, you know, this is a real big important thing that I want to bring up from my own personal experience within transitioning. When I used to be in a regular day job, it was so beautiful to come home, practice magic 
to come home, speak to clients. It was amazing. It felt stress-free. It was so brilliant to go from work to do a gig. It was a switch-off. And that is because I was treating it as a hobby. But the moment you transition, the pressure really dials up. And then it's very easy for that magic to become a job. It's very easy for you to lose motivation. It's very easy for you to jobify your hobby. But by keeping, and I want to reinforce this again. We mentioned it throughout for the past six, seven minutes. By keeping something else there that you can do you can have fun with, you can have which is different, another hobby, another interest, another work thing, whatever that is for you. You can now keep magic as fun. You can now keep your jewellery making as fun. You can now keep your scouting as fun. You've got little various different things in the mix so that you're not just this one boring person that literally just, hey, I do magic. Yeah, but what else do you do with your life? Oh, no, I just shuffle cards 24-7. You can see how easy it is to literally become a drain and now put on that the additional pressure of, hey, I've got to pay the mortgage with this, and now it's a bit of a drain. And it's fascinating, just a complete side note there, it's, it's really fascinating to see how many people that are choosing to go full-time and actually chase magic of a more of a sort of a, this new age of full-time that are actually having these other things that they're incredibly passionate about and have been passionate about for a very long time. And also that other branch of people who are really wanting to help other people. Like that's the only paths that we've ever seen. And this whole approach successfully working, deep rooted passion or passion towards helping. It's, it's bizarre, but how do people actually go about making this leap? You know, it's something that um, when I made the leap myself, the big thing for me was that I was 100% confident that I would be able to make it all work. But I was not, by any stretch of the means, 100% comfortable in taking that leap. I did like this whole all-in situation. Um, immerse yourself in the deep end and really just see what's there. I was 100% confident, so there was never a moment that I thought it wasn't going to work or I was second-guessing second it. I was 100% confident but it was just not at the most comfortable time. And I realized shortly after actually making that leap is that there's no such thing as the comfortable time. You can have more comfortable time and that would be something simply like giving yourself a year to transition to moving full time. Like you're going to quit your job in a year and you prepare for that and in the best way that you possibly can, or you just jump in at the deep end. That's kind of what I did. Yeah. But I think it really depends and it does come on that individual basis. On what is your circumstance? What are you up to? What are you looking to do within the future when you actually start planning it out properly and looking where you want to be with your life and what you want to do and why you want to go full-time? Because like we said at the start of this episode, if you just want to go full-time because you want to take your hobby and think, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to make money off it for the rest of my life. Full-time's not for you. But then again, it might be. It's just that you haven't planned it out properly. So we want to gift you something for free so that you can go through this, you can learn from this, and you can really decide how you want to live your life and take your entertainment career so that you can decide whether entertainment is full-time, part-time, or maybe there's any additional things that you haven't yet thought about with entertainment. And we're making this resource available to you. It's a free training video on something we call the Vision Stack. Aidan, what is that? Where can people find it? Well, the Vision Stack is essentially a five-part process to actually building a thriving and hustle-free entertainment career. It's the core philosophy behind our elite coaching program, Learn to Thrive, and we're going to gift it to you uh, completely for free. All you need to do is head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash vision and pop your name and email address in the box and we'll send you that complete 
training you'll be able to go through and actually do the work whilst you're watching the training and you'll get a really clear perspective over whether you want to go full-time whether full-time is really right for you and actually how to make it happen whether you want to jump in at the deep end or give yourself a nice long run-up to actually making that jump either way we've got you covered it's the vision stack head over to the successfulmentalist.com forward slash vision it's as easy as that guys and with that said best of luck if you're looking to take the jump if you need any more help let us know me and aiden are always going to be there to help and guide you in the right direction it's what tsm is here for so best of luck guys and we'll see you soon for another episode of the successful mentalist podcast Hello and welcome to the Successful Mentalist Podcast. As always, it's a midweek episode, which means it's time for Just the Tip with Ashley and Aiden. As you know, it's a short little mini episode midweek to give you guys an idea or a thought to keep you on track within entertainment and your life overall. And today we're going to be talking about something called the Beautiful Magic Principle. And the Beautiful Magic Principle is utterly fantastic. When you can start to understand this and implement it into your shows, it's going to create a real moment of amazement and wonder that just truly stands out and captivates people. And it's going to be the best thing in the world. And I can guarantee you from the offset right now, this will change every single show you do from this moment forward. So let's put a bit of background on this. The beautiful magic principle. Well, this, in fact, I'll tell you where I developed this from, and then you'll understand the context. So as I was researching my psychology, studying psychology way back in the, in the original days of learning psychology and putting that in mentalism, I was studying something in memory called the primacy and the recency effect. And that essentially suggests that when people are given a list of things to remember, the amount of people that could recall the early amounts, uh, the early points on that list, like the first few items on the list, were high because they were able to repeat it from the start of the memorization process. They were able to repeat those early words on that list. And then there's the recency effect, the last few words on that list. People were able to recall because they were recently in their mind. It was just the last thing they saw. It was like they were able to remember it with ease because it was there. But those words in the middle, people tended to forget more often because, well, it was in the middle. They didn't really have the advantage of long repetition like the early words. And they didn't have the advantage of being recently on their mind as the last few words. And so I took this and I put this in my shows and I started to map this and I realized that there's an exact trend in the audiences remember the opening routine or the first few bits of the show, that really high moment there at the start where you begin that show. Audiences remember that and they also remember what happened at the end, perhaps a bit more so than the start. And then in the middle, people could barely remember what tricks were what. And, and this happened like over the course of a year, a few years, people would come back to me after seeing that one show and they'd be like, oh yeah, your show was amazing. Uh, and they could still describe almost accurately the starting routine, the final piece of the show. And they could barely remember what was actually in the middle. And I thought to myself, well, there's got to be a way to fix this. And as my style evolved, I was doing like a combination of magic and mentalism back then. And now my shows are, are, are much more mentalism oriented. I decided to put in a piece of magic. And not just any old piece of magic. As the title of the principle suggests, I would put in a beautiful piece of magic. A piece of magic that's just so elegant, so beautiful, that it stands alone in and of itself. And if I just performed that one routine, it would be a miracle for everybody. And we could just sit, chill out, and everybody would be satisfied. And the things like I've done this in the past, I've used uh, 
like a needle swallow act like Wayne Houchin's um, A Single Needle. Really great release, actually. I've just had music playing in the background and I've just silently brought somebody up, like Telestyle, if you like, brought somebody up and I've just performed that routine there in the middle of this high energy mentalism show. It's a beautiful piece of magic located right in the middle. And what I noticed is that immediately after I started doing this, my audiences were able to remember the start, the end. And they also could not stop raving about the piece of magic in the middle. They were pretty much able to remember my entire show and talk to more people and excitedly tell more people about it. That, in essence, is the evolution of the beautiful magic principle. And it quite simply is slotting a beautiful piece of magic in the middle of your mentalism show. It's actually taking this out and putting something completely different. And it's just so important to do. You know, what I particularly like, as well as getting people to just remember your show, it makes it so much more fun for your audience, Aidan. Since I've implemented this into my shows as well, the audience engagement, the fun factor, the excitement factor has all gone up tenfold because of that diversity appeal. It gives you a nice solid break between... The usual stuff which we can fall into with mentalism, let's be honest, it can get tedious and boring if done wrong, because we think of something, that's what it is. Think of something, ah, I predicted it. Think of something, ah, that's what it is. But this gives a nice clear cut, whoa, that was different. It's like going down the motorway, and then suddenly a Lamborghini shoots past, you go, oh, that was nice and fancy. It stands out, and that's the part of that trip you remember, not... The rest of the stuff that happened, you remember the setting off, you remember arriving at a hotel, and then you remember the Lamborghini in the middle. Another example. But it helps with the memory, and it also gives diversity and excitement to your audience. And this is something I always strive for in my shows. Every single change I make within my shows, close-up and stage, is to help with engagement, is to help with the audience, and to help with excitement. And if it does it, I implement the change. And that's why in every single show that I do... I also slot in a beautiful piece of magic. Sometimes as a hardcore psychic, I tell a beautiful story of how I got into magic through circus skills and learning card tricks. And I slot that bang in the middle of my show. I'm doing a stupid card trick, but the story and the diversity around it means it's something so much more powerful than the silly trick that it actually is. And it's really important to note at this point that we're talking here about uh, in a, um, using a piece of magic in the middle of a mentalism show. And it is kind of important to address the fact that a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners aren't all mentalists. A lot of people are just interested in the stuff that we're sharing because it applies to both the magic world as well. So some people are probably thinking, well, does the same apply if I put a piece of mentalism in the middle of my magic shows? Would it stand out the same way? Would I get this beautiful magic uh, principle, same thing, like crossover? And this is a, a debate that goes out an awful lot. And I think I think we're both of the same mindset on this, Ashley. Like a piece of magic in a mentalism show is magic but a piece of mentalism in a magic show is just magic it's just a new trick it's just a trick that that is dressed up in a slightly different way and we can talk for hours about that in and of itself the amount of people that break character as soon as they do a piece of mentalism in a magic show but the core concept of the beautiful magic principle if you are a magician uh, that's using this or you like having shows that are a mix of, of magic and mentalism wherever you are right now Think of things that you can do that are wildly different to what you're doing already. What is the one or two things that you can do to just wedge in the middle of your show to get people remembering this? Is it 
taking an entire elephant, making an elephant appear in the middle of your show, like a full, genuine elephant. Can you make one appear in the middle of your show? When you like, then it makes everything else redundant. Like you can do anything, providing you're not doing large illusions already. The elephant appearing is a significant difference to anything else you're performing. And again, you can use that in any different way. You can, I don't know, like heck, go fire breathing and on a unicycle and all sorts of other things. If that's different enough and has a reason of actually being there, you can use this principle uh, to great success but you're creating a real stand out moment a beautiful moment within and that's the angle that you've got to take with all of this and when you can do that you will accomplish everything that we've said at the beginning of this short just a tip episode you'll start to bring in true amazement and wonder into your shows people will be excited and people will actually be able to just remember what it is rather than just going away from your shows and thinking yeah it was great what did they actually do again? Everything stands out. And if people can remember you, well, that's so much better for so many reasons, right? If, if people have a better time remembering you, then they can refer you, they can talk about you, and they might just book you again. Well, take, take the exact example that uh, I, I used from one of my shows. I actually did the, the Needle Swallow Act. I had somebody, I kid you not, it was seven months later, because I, I kept a track of it. It was seven months afterwards. They came up to me. They just bumped into me in the in like a local coffee shop. They came up to me and said, oh my gosh, hey, great to see you. Your show was absolutely amazing. Would you be able to show my friends something? I've been, I've literally just been sat telling her all about you. And I naturally asked the question of, oh God, I don't know what you know. I played it as a joke. And like what she said, she said, oh, you did the thing on stage with the needle in your mouth and you was able to bring it out on a piece of string that you swat. That in and of itself is more accurate of a description than 90% of other people that watch a magic trick and try and recall it. Like, oh, yeah, it was a card trick. I can't, yeah, I can't really remember what we did. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good, though. And that's what you usually get. But here it was a, almost to the letter. It's almost like she could recite the script to me, and she wasn't even watching it. And what that gives is you this opportunity to have people in your audience, in your shows, in your close-up, because the principle applies to close-up as well, You've got people turning into raving fans because they can remember you and people love nothing more than telling good, exciting stories. And if you can make your, in the middle of your show, the middle of your performance, a really exciting, talkable story, that is exactly what you should be doing. Like, it's the one thing that I've been doing. It's the one thing that I know that has had a tremendous result that you've done, Ashley, actually starting to implement this. And I promise that if you start doing this, it will be a game changer for you and you know we'd love to hear from you guys so right now over in the tsm network we've put a post up relating to today's mini just the tip episode because we want to hear from you about what beautiful pieces of magic do you put in your shows and what beautiful things do you put in your shows maybe if you are a magician we'd love to hear from you hear your thoughts about what you're doing or what you're changing and how you're actually getting people to remember the show and how you're bringing diversity in if you want to join in and leave those comments and engage with the community where can people go aiden well they can head over to the successful mentalist.com forward slash community or you can just click the link in the show notes because that's going to be 10 times easier but the successful mentalist.com forward slash community once you pop your name and your email address on that page we'll be able to send you all of your login details everything you need to know to get signed up and ready and rolling to actually come and be part of that conversation 
This is a genuinely a principle that has transformed my entire entertainment career. I know it's done the same with Ashley's and I would love to help you get it into yours as well. So head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash community and come and share in the conversation. So here's the situation. A few years ago, a group of us went out to film a project. Ashley was performing a routine, my pre-show for the video we was about to film. I'm sat there behind the camera filming this routine. Fast forward two years later, and that piece of pre-show performance that Ashley was doing got aired on international television, and he got a crap ton of view viewership airtime internationally, and it was a piece of pre-show. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Successful Mentalist podcast. It's a little just the tip midweek episode. My name is Aidan O'Sullivan and I'm joined by none other than the man that filmed or performed my pre-show and, and somehow got on international television, Ashley Green. Ashley, what the heck happened? This story is just so bizarre. It's bizarre and also funny that the main routine which was filmed uh, didn't get anywhere close to telly, Aiden. <laughs> yeah, my bit did. So, alaggy! <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, so, look, here's the thing. We went over and when we film, we film absolutely anything. Back in the day when we was going out, we was vlogging, we was doing the pre-show, we was doing the performance pieces. Everything we were doing that day was being filmed. I went up to these group of people and uh, and I was performing a routine. I wasn't doing anything like, uh, oh, quickly scribble this down on a piece of paper. The guy about to perform is going to do something with it. No, I was making it like an actual performance. So just to squash the thing of anyone thinking right now, oh, your pre-show got on telly, what? All the methods and the reveals, uh, <laughs> that got on telly? Is that anything to be proud of? No, my pre-show was an actual good solid presentation that got on telly i went over and i was performing to them and then after that obviously aiden went on and started performing his thing it was all captured on telly i took that uploaded it to youtube and it just got found a few years later by a tv producer and that's the thing that got aired and this is a really important thing yes it's important to film your pre-show because of all the feedback stuff which i'm sure aiden's going to mention later um, on this episode because he's an absolute dab hand when it comes to feedback done some great work with that but also the one thing i want to point out pre-show it shouldn't just be a method for the effect that's about to come it should be an encompass thing of the entire performance it should be an actual flowing performance going from one thing to the end it shouldn't just be hey guys can you write down on this piece of paper because the magician coming over is about to do something it should seem natural rather than just like this weird quirky thing that goes on behind the scenes that no one gets to see and also as well by doing an actual nice performance like i was doing and filming it, it gets your audience and volunteers used to actually being on camera before the main section of camera footage happens. And because they're more comfortable on camera, they're now going to start to get used to reacting as they do in the first performance, easing those nerves. They realize it's then okay for them to react on camera so that when Aiden's piece of footage happens, they react so much better, they're more natural and they're more calmer. These are some of the real important things as well. And also you've got that documentation so you can review it in case there's any things that go wrong there. And the other thing that was particularly important was actually having that two-way communication. Not only were we able to get really clear communication back to us in the, in the sense of 
what, how are they acting? Like, we've got it all on camera. We can actually see and then use that for feedback purposes. But we was also able to really clearly communicate back to the people being performed to how to react. If they're doing something great, rewarding them and, and praising them for reacting perfectly. And not reacting. We're not going down the, the depths of, oh, yeah, if you react really loud, I'll give you a, I'll give you a pack of hobnobs from the local corner shop. Or something. That's the most English thing ever. But we're actually able to open up that feedback two ways and let them know that everything was fine. And again, ultimately, when it comes down to the actual performance piece, the piece that we was there for, we're able to make that much more worthwhile and the useful thought process that we always go through whenever we're using pre-show is if somebody saw this pre-show or if we had to use this pre-show on stage, would it still be logical? Would it still flow through? Would it still make sense? And would it add to the routine rather than detract from it? Exactly. And this is a state of mind we should get ourselves in. We should stop calling it pre-show and start calling it a pre-show performance because you are entirely true there. And I can tell you of a corporate show that i done where there was a language barrier and the pre-show failed because we also had booze in the mix and also had Colin Cloud and his wife and their parents in the audience as well. So added pressure on. And when your pre-show fails in that show, you think, oh, bugger. But because I planned a pre-show performance beforehand, I was able to just literally... We'll just do that in the show because nothing really seems out of place. It's out of place for me and what I had planned. But the thing is, I'm still doing a performance in the show. So it seems natural. And that's the beauty. And why people always get scared of pre-show. Oh, it could go wrong. Oh, it just it's, it seems weird with your audience. No, that's because you're literally just getting someone to scribble on a piece of paper and say, hey, we'll come back to that later. And they feel like... Yeah, something sneaky has gone on here. They get that vibe. But if it's a performance and then it's wrapped up, they've seen something. In their mind, they have an open end to it. They no longer have this open loop thinking, what's happened? What? And, and start overthinking this. It's like, oh, cool. They've done something with that. That's the end of the trick. They forget about it. And then when it happens in the show, it's like, whoa, what happened from there? That's pretty damn cool. And that's the thing. When you start treating it like pre-show performance... It's going to play better when you start doing it. You're going to have more performance and backup footage potentially be on telly like I was from pre-show because it was a good performance. And also, if you need to redo it, you can redo it in a show because you actually have a performance piece that works that gets you that information so you now want ahead and can do the next routine. It's so important. I, and I know I've been pre-showed previously for several people's performances and I feel incredibly uncomfortable when it's just a, a hey, write this thing on here and, and it is that sort of open loop level of thing of just there's no closure to it it wasn't a pre-show performance it was a bit of pre-show i feel so nervous it's like i know i'm gonna get called up oh, oh my god i know i'm gonna have to do this thing am i gonna forget what this thing is does does he want me to remember this piece of paper in my pocket what it, it's really bizarre even as a mentalist watching another mentalist perform it's so uncomfortable so let alone how our audience feels uh, just being able to round it off with that performance People are going to react much nicer on stage. People are going to be much more comfortable with actually handling you and your process or whatever it is that you're getting them to do just because you've settled their nerves by closing that loop out in the pre-show performance. Such a beautiful concept. So, so important. 100%. So if there's one big lesson learned from today, it is start calling it a pre-show performance. And then maybe the second lesson, always bloody film it because there's probably going to be opportunities there to take this performance further and also review it and understand your own performance so much better as well. 
And for all of the new people that are listening to today's episode, if you resonate with this and you want some more advice to really transform and take your mentalism so much further so that it's highly engaging, super amazing, fits your character down to the ground and really takes your mentalism to the next level, we've put together a free ebook called 10 Tips to Improve Your Mentalism, 10 actionable, easy steps that you can use immediately to transform the way you perform your own mentalism routines, close up or show. Aiden, if anyone's interested in this, where can and they find it. TheSuccessfulMentalist.com forward slash free. That's free as in F-R-E-E, no money, not the number three. TheSuccessfulMentalist.com forward slash free. Now we are. So head over to TheSuccessfulMentalist.com forward slash free to pick up your very own copy of 10 tips to improve your mentalism. But without further ado, we will see you guys next time for another episode of The Successful Mentalist podcast. Hello and welcome back to the TSM podcast. This is another little midweek Just the Tip episode. And today we're going to be talking about that whole thing that we do when we, uh, when we, when we miss, when we put an intentional miss, we're like we're in the middle of a routine and we, we get the, the reveal wrong only to use it later or to predict it later or do something different with it. This is a really controversial one because we see a lot of discussions about this in magic and mentalism forums across the internet. Should we have a strategic miss and should we have a, uh, not a miss? And It's all bizarre. But Ashley, what do we actually mean by this whole concept of missing? Yeah, well, it's the fake misses to use later in your show. It's that whole magician or mentalist gone wrong plot where you're doing a performance, you're doing something, either close up, show, wherever. And the aim is like part of that trick effect it goes wrong maybe you've got the big reveal you're guessing the name of someone oh it's gone wrong you can't guess it and everyone's like oh well that that sucks and you're like oh yeah i know moving on with the whole aim of bringing it back at the end of the show and being like haha i knew all along but here's the thing aiden everyone does it and it's a bit kind of weak now isn't it yeah i I think it's always been a bit weak, if I'm perfectly honest. Like, I, some performers do it really, really well. Heck, it only takes uh, a couple of looks at some of Darren's performances to know that Darren Brown is is a genius when it comes down to this approach. And I think he really pioneered it. And that's probably why uh, uh, it's so common nowadays, especially in the modern era. Uh, not that he created this whole approach because it's been done for, for absolutely uh, decades, centuries, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like this weird dynamic of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to put this intentional miss in here so that I can bring it back later uh, as part of uh, sometimes as a confabulation or as a bonus big reveal or, or as something like a, I've seen performers uh, do it where they've got like this intentional miss of, a, of like a, a name or a specific piece of information and they come back to it right at the end when all of the... the process has been done earlier in the show, they come back to it and it's a really clean demonstration of mind reading and it falls flat and it's like oh yeah you're cool. it feels like a oh yeah yeah that's, that's cool that's nice rather than an actual oh my god did he just read my mind this is an amazing moment and i'm, I'm kind of talking from experience here as well because I, I used to do this a lot like i was obsessed with this whole intentional miss to bring it back later as part of either a confabulation or a, a, a another form of reveal and i started noticing very quickly that it wasn't playing as well like my audiences weren't like amazed by it. it was kind of like a oh nice that was it because everything or like we've wasted 10 to 15 minutes of dead time earlier on in the show like it was all happening then that would have been the perfect moment they'd have loved the reveal in that moment but because we basically did 10 to 15 minutes or however five minutes 30 seconds of build up on this whatever 
bit it was to then basically say, huh, that didn't work and or, or just move on completely. Everyone kind of left that moment and, and connected that reveal, that piece of information with a really sense of uh, like deflation, like, oh, OK, whatever. So then when it comes back later, what's their memory point? Their memory point isn't, oh, my God, yes, yeah, Susan was thinking of her mother's name. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it tried it earlier. It didn't really work, did it? Like, that's the connection. It's bizarre. It's a, a really weird thing. And, you know, just uh, another example, which has just, just literally come into my mind just now, Aiden. I remember watching Britain's Got Talent a few years ago and there was a magician on there actually performing. And uh, and it was part of the show. They'd done this magician goes wrong principle, the, the fake miss principle in there. And uh, as the trick goes, they messed up. There was this planned miss. But one of the judges leant over and went, hang on, something's about to happen. Literally your audience kind of feels now that something's about to happen. It seems like every magician out there, every performer out there, almost feels like, oh, it's a way of being different. Oh, it's a way of tricking your audience to hit them with surprise. But it doesn't really do it. Like you were saying, when you do have other misses which are genuine, it gets lumped in. So now, like, instead of having one miss in your show, which is actually genuine, you've actually just messed up for whatever reason, which can happen... Your audience is now going to see three, four, five misses and think, oh, is this person any good at performing? It's a danger you fall into. To give a really sort of example of that, there was a a bunch of shows that I was doing and I I always used to write these intentional misses in my show for various endings, whether it wasn't always a confabulation, like I don't particularly like the confabulation plot, but that's a, a conversation for another episode, I'm sure. But like I had these these moments of misses to bring back later on and what actually happened in that show is like the end of the first half there was a, 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 the, I was doing a routine to, to the big wow moment so that everybody leaves that f- uh, end of the first half they get energized feeling energized having that break ready to come back in for the second half but that end routine for that first half flopped like the method utterly failed and I had nothing I couldn't get anything it was an unsalvageable moment it was a mess up but what happened is that I brought back all of the other intentional misses throughout the show. And there wasn't many. I'm not saying that my entire show was littered with intentional misses. It was like maybe one or two uh, others, but they were big enough moments to, to for people to remember. But the thing is, after the show, people weren't coming up to me to say, oh, my God, that was amazing. like a usual show or a usual performance. They weren't coming with compliments or saying amazing things. They were saying, asking questions about like, what about that other thing? Because they all expected it to come back later on. And uh, there was a, another good friend of ours, a performer. He he saw my performances and actually trying this intentional misapproach. And it got to the point that afterwards we, we spoke about it. I was going for one vision of, of the whole performance piece. And what he said, it really stuck with me. And it, it really changed my entire philosophy on everything. It was like... If you keep up with this kind of approach, you could. it really works for your character and stuff, but you can really push it even further and you could almost be the Tommy Cooper of mentalism. And that was the penny drop moment for me. I was like, I like, I don't want to be the Tommy Cooper of mentalism. That, like, He is a genius in and, of it, in and of himself. Like, That's one route, but that's not the route I'm trying for here. I was trying for something completely different. So yeah, like in real shows, when people see that miss, a real miss, you, you're forced to bring it back and it's just an uncomfortable position a really uncomfortable position it is and the, and the final thought on this from my own perspective from my own performance and style of that if you could really read minds and you get it wrong fine we all make mistakes but if it was predicted later then surely your audience will think 
Why did they get it wrong in the first place? Surely they already knew what it was. Are they some sort of idiot? <laughs> like, come on. If that doesn't spell it out clean enough, I don't know what will. But we've already said a couple of things of why me and Aiden are like, mm, this doesn't really work. But it can if you do it properly and in the right way. There is a time and a place for this if it's done properly. If you want to use that magician gone wrong principle, if you want to use that fake missing mentalism principle, there is a time and a place for that. And the best cases are when you use it as little throwaway lines in the performance. If you're doing a magician goes wrong scenario and it's like your big finale which you're planning to go wrong to only call it back at the end, that's not going to work. But if it's like a little thing throughout and it goes wrong and maybe you do something with that later on then it kind of works it's a little throwaway for example when I get people up on stage I'm doing like random name guesses star sign guesses which are just out of the blue it's like oh you don't know someone called Dave do you they either say yes or no and then we move past it if they say no it's gone past if they say yes it's an absolute miracle it's no longer seen as like a, a miss or a failure in that example is it Aiden because it's like something so easy to brush past it's not a trick or an effect it's just a, a passing thing a passing comment a passing statement just a little bit of spice or I always bring back the weird examples a little bit spice on my mentalism yeah well it's exactly that it's like you're asking a question not going for a trick or a reveal or something whereas most people we've seen doing this approach and I'm sure that uh, it's by no fault of their own like they're, they're going in like you're not like rather than just a casual comment of you you're not a Libra are you they're like hang on are you are you a Libra no I, I didn't think and then they build it to like that's a terrible like not actually how I've seen it done but you, the point there is like it's really accentuating a moment that was easily brushed pastable if that's now a word but yeah it's throwaways are really key at the end of the day it's those little uh, those little callbacks and those little references to to a mistake that's when it works fantastically but when you're trying to to look at this big mistake as we said earlier like uh, having that response and that memory attached to the time where the routine flopped you don't want to be bringing that feeling back into your big final reveal. Like an emotion paired with a short-term piece of information, a short-term memory, will convert into a long-term memory. That's fundamental science and storytelling at, at that point. So if early in your show, there's a miss, you pair that with the emotion of, uh, whatever that emotion is, take it and interpret it yourself. But you get that, uh, calling back to an uh moment when you should be, ah, like, it's so different. It's, it's bizarre. You can interpret all of those feelings however you like. Moral of the story, stop doing uh magic, do ah magic. But I want to relate this back to what you said at the beginning with Darren Brown here to quickly round up. You said Darren Brown is a master at doing this. And you know why? It's because I remember one of his shows when he'd done this magician goes wrong principle, except it wasn't the magician that went wrong. It was the spectator done something wrong. On purpose, there was a, a cup knocked off the table during a smash and stab routine. The trick didn't go wrong, the effect didn't go wrong, except there was an inconvenience supposedly from the audience member, and that was the thing that was predicted at the end. Darren Brown was seen to do the effect, the trick, perfectly. He nailed that. Everyone was blown away. It was just that everyone thought that the spectator made a mistake, but then Darren became an absolute genius because he predicted the mistake that the audience member made. You're now longer, no longer making yourself go wrong. It's almost like... It's just a, a thing that happens. The spectator drops a pen, knocks a cup off the table, accidentally scribbles on your face, whatever, and that's predicted. You get the point here. It's now something else. It's a little passing moment which is predicted, which is what we said earlier as well. Instead of 
the failure within the trick. So if there's one thing that you can take from today, stop making your tricks go wrong. It's just naff, it's overused. And if you really want to do it, do it within the passing moments, a small little pieces of spice, which we had on, if you want to call back to my example. Well, exactly that, exactly that. And at the end of the day, it goes back to something that we have uh, we spoke about with Colin, uh, Colin Cloud. It's like, if you're getting paid for a corporate show, you're not getting paid to miss. You're getting paid to hit. So you've got to make sure that that philosophy is not just corporate shows, that's every single performance you do. You're there in that moment to make an impact. And again, dial back the misses. I, I've really had to learn this the hard way, but dial back those misses and go for the little spice that Ashley's talking about. And that is going to see your presentations feel much more uh, exciting for your audience. And you're not going to have that uh, moment at the end of your show. Simple as that. There we go. And to finish up, I think, Aidan, what we're going to do today when this launches, we're going to put a post up in the TSM network to ask you guys what you do, what your views are on these fake misses, a fake uh, magician goes wrong principle within magic and mentalism. So that'll be up in the TSM network. If you want to join our network and if you're already there, brilliant, because we've got hundreds of magicians from around the globe, all at different skill levels. You want to join in on that. You want to have further chats, join our live podcast recordings and all of the extra good bonus freebie stuff all that jazz which we do over there go and head over to the successful mentalist.com forward slash community the successful mentalist.com forward slash community sign up for free and uh, join in on all the discussions well exactly that and if you are watching this episode on youtube whack a comment below simple as that simple as that so there we go moral of the story stop missing reveals and enjoy performing mentalism and magic with really great reactions Hello and welcome to a midweek episode of the TSM podcast, alternatively known as Just the Chip. Of course, my name's Ashley Green and I'm joined by the wonderful co-host and my best friend that is Aidan O'Sullivan. Uh, today we're going to be talking about something really interesting actually happened to me recently. It happens to us all of the time and it's about revealing difficult information. Aidan, what do we mean by that? Well, difficult... It can mean a lot of things. Uh, so, for example, and again, you're more than welcome to think of any examples, like do the whole put a finger down competition thingy, hold five fingers, whatever, moving on. Uh, so we're looking at things that are just uh, just utterly rude pieces of information, just uh, inappropriate information for the situation, uh, offensive things. Uh, we've had all sorts of swears and so-and-sos just by the, the that guy who thinks they're trying to be funny. Uh, things that are just out and out unclear so you might be peeking a billet and it's the writing is awful somebody's handwriting is terrible and they ignored your comment of write that in block capitals or, or anything like that uh you might not actually know what the thing is uh, like what the actual piece of information is and as a result revealing that how do we navigate all of those different examples and actually revealing that information because again at the end of the day if you reveal something and it's exactly it it's going to feel like a, a little bit like you've peaked it. But to give some actual examples, I've got a couple of stacks here of like billets that I've kept from uh, just close-up gigs. I've got another load from uh, stage performances and things. Um, but to read you a few examples, these are words that people have genuinely written in my shows. And there's a bunch of different things. So we've got uh, balloon, uh, road, pigeon, my first word, uh, flying pigs, 
flying pigs because why not uh suprachiasmatic nucleus that's uh, another fun one imagine trying to reveal that and you don't know what it is uh kismlet jukebox sex raffle truffle freud i've got some weird audiences but the point is there that there's at least one or two pieces of information that even i struggled with in terms of revealing and i'm sure the same goes to a lot of other people so ashley how do we navigate this whole process if there's an awkward thing on a billet what do we do well that's the thing look at the end of the day you pass a billet to someone write a word on there write something on there they hand it back to you and you get the secret peek and you think bugger like you said you don't know what it is or you think oh bugger bugger that's incredibly rude very rude very offensive i can't ever say that and you don't want to say it because then that's going to drag you down. At the end of the day, if you're going to be revealing... Look, you're doing a show for entertainment purposes. If someone's putting something completely racist or hideous on a billet, something like that, why are you going to reveal that back to your audience? If you're there for entertainment purposes and you reveal words or phrases which are just, like, wrong, like racist and rude your show's no longer entertaining is it you're, you're now just stooping to the level of of your volunteer which you've called up you've got to make a clear gut decision in that moment i'm not going to reveal this I'm not going to do it <laughs> you know we'll come back to what you do uh in the in the back end of this episode but also as well like you've mentioned aiden like you peek something on a billet and you don't know what it is like it's spelt wrong or you can't understand the writing First of all, you can't reveal it. What are you going to do? Try and attempt to write something down which vaguely looks like it? In which case, someone's just going to go, well, that's completely wrong. That's not what I've written down. Or someone's going to be like, well, I guess the words look similar. And if the words look similar, what does that imply? Well, you've clearly peeked at the billet, which they've written down. It's no longer mind reading, is it? You've just been interpreting their handwriting. And secondly, if it is something that you don't know, for example, I had... Uh, uh, ultrasound guided injection if it's something that you don't know well you know it's an injection but what the hell is it used for if you go and reveal it you can't add any mind reading process in there in terms of using your intuition or psychological abilities or whatever your other abilities are to determine that information you can't use any process because you don't know what the final thing is that you're getting yes you know what it is written down but what the hell is it how can you add in process to get there and therefore that takes the fun interesting stuff anyone that's read our 10 tips to improve your mentalism prose uh pdf uh ebook that we've got uh you'll know that the main part of the mind reading entertainment is actually in the process it's not in the revealing of the information that's like the wow to dar moment but people get really captivated by the moment leading up to it and if there is no moment leaving up to it then it's a bit bland it's a bit linear and a bit boring like most other mentalism out there so if you don't know how to get to it then it's going to be a bit difficult to reveal as well and the other point which i see mentalists and magicians fall into a lot is when they go, okay, there's no mind-reading process that I can do here, but I know what the letters are. Let's come out of character a second. I know I'm a psychic, intuitive mind-reader that picks up on physical objects and I'm able to divine what their physical object is, but I know what the letters are, so I'm now going to change into a psychological character. Uh, you, madam, can you think of this word? Can you imagine the first letter in there? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Ah, this is a, this is an E. Think of the second letter. And now you've gone from a psychic to a psychological, and now your character is jarring 
and it just brings your whole performances down. Your audience can't actually understand what you're doing. They don't actually understand what the mind reading process is. And because they don't understand what the mind reading process is, it goes back to the exact same thing which I mentioned earlier, which is LinkedIn are 10 tips to improve your mentalism PDF, which you can download for free on the website. But you get the point here. It's bringing everything down. A, you're going to reveal something which is a bit racist or rude, or you're going to reveal something so bang on, so bang specific, or the word looks similar that everyone just goes, that is really clever. How did he know what you've written down? He must have looked at it somewhere. It's obvious. It's not psychic powers to guess ultrasounded guided injection. He's clearly looked at it. Or finally, you're you just can't do it. <laughs> You're like, you physically can't do it. Like, these are really the main three scenarios which you fall into. And you've got to make a clear-cut decision of what you're going to do in that moment. And it's got to be the right decision. You've got to make sure you don't jeopardise your character. And you've got to make sure you don't offend anyone in your audience. Because if you do that, then entertainment is brought down. Especially if you start offending people with racist and rude comments. You don't want to do that. You don't want to stoop down to the same level as your audience. With that in mind, Aiden, people are probably thinking, oh my gosh, the fear of getting someone to write something down. What do I do if I can't read it? What do I do if it is rude? What would you do? Super charismatic nucleus? Well, well there's the, this is the thing. You've got to look at it from your audience's perspective. Now, I just so happened to uh, to know what the super charismatic nucleus was because that's a psychological term. It's psychology. That's my field anyway. Perfect. It also meant that just as a fun fact, I was able to pretty much work out exactly who it was in the audience because I knew a few people in the audience and I also knew one of them was a psychology teacher. Bonus reveal. I'm sure we could talk about that at another time. Uh, there's another story as well. There's a side note to Ashley there. Uh, after a show once, I had a, a load of billets that were used in the stage show and somebody came up to me at the end. They were all on the floor and said, can you find out mine? And I went into this whole muscle reading process, just looking at all of the billets to try and find out which one I thought might be theirs. Judging handwriting, it was beautiful. It's a, it nailed it and it was a, an amazing moment. But we'll talk about that another time. So... In terms of actually revealing this difficult information, when you look at it from this audience's perspective, for that one person who writes Super Chiasmatic Nucleus, they think, oh my gosh, that was quite co fair play to you. But somebody else sat next to them or sat near them or somebody else just watching who doesn't know what a Super Chiasmatic Nucleus is, not only do they have no connection to the piece of information themselves, but then they're going to jump, as you said, Ashley, straight to this sceptical mindset of like, there must that's so specific it's bizarrely specific and we're not saying here just go for vague information you need to go for specific information but there's a clever way of doing this now there's a few steps to actually uh, reveal this information that we, we use pretty much every single time we're faced with a challenge and step one is to really understand your character's process are you that psychic uh, entertainer are you a psychological entertainer are you somewhere in the middle are you somewhere outside of that bracket what is your process to reading minds or, or revealing pieces of information? Because at the end of the day, that is going to inform every decision moving forwards. So if you do pick up on letters, great, you've got that as a route. If you do pick up on, on psychic vibes from holding a piece of paper, then great, that, that's another approach. So really understand that character process. The second part is to then, using your own judgment, understand whether the information is reveal-worthy or not. And the easiest way to do that is to look at the trade-offs. What is the benefit of revealing this piece of information? What does what happens as a result of me revealing this piece of information? 
So you get something really offensive popped on a billet. Now you can find a funny way of revealing that, sure. But you've also got to think of this on the back foot from the rest of your audience. Even if you reveal uh, uh, an offensive piece of information under the guise of a joke, you degrade yourself as that performer in some cases. It's not the same for everyone, but you can often degrade yourself as a performer or turn off your other audience members that aren't really up for that kind of humour. That's not their sense of humour. So you've got to be really careful about that. So actually judge those trade-offs. Is this piece of information reveal worthy? Yes, no. That's where you make your decision. If no, move on. Just find the quickest way of escaping that reveal process as you can. And if you can, well, by all means, reveal the information in a safe manner. By safe, we're not saying like really clinically ex executed in a don't throw nails at people kind of manner. Instead, actually reveal it in a way that's not going to turn your audience off. It's not going to piss anybody off just by you saying the word or writing it down on a piece of paper. Like, by all means, whisper it in their ear if that's your absolute get-out-of-jail-free card. But, yeah, that's clearly a, a nice process that we use. Character, what are the trade-offs? Is it worthwhile revealing? Then do it in a safe, constructed manner. You do that, you're going to be okay. That's it. And two final points from me as well. On the cases where I have received the, on that on that thing ultrasounded guided injection, no way I could reveal it. There was no process. I ain't got a bloody clue what it was. So I just paused the whole presentation. I was like, I'll come back to that later. And I googled it. I googled it where he can see me. I understood it. And then I realised it was to do with like back pains and stuff like that. So I could then reveal it later in the evening because I actually understood what it was. So like I could um, go through the process. And the final one from there, I peeked something. No idea what the person wrote down, so I adapted my routine. I abandoned that routine midway through. I didn't say, ah, oh, it's gone wrong, we'll move on to something else. I just naturally flowed into another routine where I would naturally get someone to think of anything, something anyway, where I wouldn't know what it was. I moved into a one-ahead routine. <laughs> so then, doing the one-ahead routine, I said to the person, what was it that you was thinking of? Ah, oh, giraffe, nice. <laughs> and then I wrote that down on the next billet. I needed him to confirm what he'd actually written down because I hadn't had a bloody clue. But you get the point. You can sometimes adapt uh, and move on as well if you can't see what these uh, these things are which your audience members have written down. But there's a few ideas for you so that next time you have this in your performance, you don't get stuck, you don't offend anyone, and you don't look like a muppet on stage. Welcome to the mystical, wonderful land full of amazement and wonder that is the TSM Podcast. Was that good enough for you, Aiden? That was bloody awful, but we'll roll with it nonetheless. Uh, to do the normal intro, hello and welcome to the TSM Podcast. This is another little mini Just the Tip midweek episode. And, uh, well, in this episode, it's a bit of a rant, if I'm perfectly honest, uh, about this whole angle of chasing wonder. You see, we talk to an awful lot of entertainers and we browse an awful lot of entertainers' websites and we browse an awful lot of entertainers' promo materials and most entertainers tend to be saying something along the lines of I help create moments of wonder and awe and amazement within my audiences and not only is it the same as every other entertainer but it's just a bit shit. It is, because at the end of the day, Aiden, when you think about it, what the hell is wonder? I've, I've never walked down the street and I'd be like, wow, that lady sat in that coffee shop has experienced a real state of wonder from that lovely mocha. Yeah, maybe I should get a mocha too. It, it, what is wonder? When you really think about it, wonder and amazement 
Can you put your finger on it? I challenge all of you now, if you can describe wonder and amazement in a sentence, I will personally give you... I, I'm not going to put any money on the line because some some fool Someone out there will, will do Someone it. Someone will. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the point. Like, I don't think you can actually put your finger and actually tell someone what exactly that feeling of wonder and amazement is. Most people, I think, will be sat there now going, oh, well, you know, wonder and amazement is all about going back to the childlike sense of of magic where you think anything is possible no that's not it that's just a feeling if that a a generalized feeling that you believe everyone went through because the thing is everyone is their own person with their own experiences with their own beliefs their own thoughts their own imagination they've gone through life in their own individual ways no one person experiences the same moment in the same way well this is it like wonder and amazement if you really want to look at this from a high level perspective wonder amazement or these 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 things, if you like, they're incredibly intangible and also incredibly subjective peak experiences, which basically means these are some of the greatest experiences life has to offer. But you can't just make that happen. You can't just manipulate that in front of somebody. Like you can amaze them, sure, but like creating this amazing level of amazement and wonder and all of these amazing things, like. It, it's just too wishy-washy, and, and the problem is is that we see so many entertainers chasing this uh, whole belief in creating wonder because everybody else is trying to create wonder. And at the end of the day, is uh, like your approach to creating wonder going to work for everybody? Well, no, it's not. You see, because these are incredibly subjective experiences, you can't recreate wonder from person to person. You, you just can't do that. You also can't replicate this experience of wonder in the same way from person to person by doing the same thing. It doesn't work like that. Least of all, you definitely cannot create this experience of wonder transferably from person to person using the same process or the same means every single time. Least of all, that being through something like card tricks or a billet peak, like... It just doesn't work. It's a, I'm fully aware that this is a rant and it feels like a rant. This is because this is a rant. It's something like you have to understand that chasing wonder and awe and amazement, because it's so intangible, people just don't get it. Put that on your website. Your client will just read that and think, oh, yeah, they do magic. Like They can't feel that as an emotion because it's one of those emotions that are just superseding everything else they're way above everything else but you have to experience those for yourself you can't just whack out an ambitious card routine and hope to create this moment of pure wonder it just doesn't work like that in people's minds and i think now is the time that we need to shift from that approach within the entertainment industry we need to get a little bit more tangible on this stuff well yeah you've touched on something there and for those long-term uh the successful mentalist podcast listeners you'll actually know the best way to create a long-term lasting memory is to link it up with an emotion an experience and if we can start when we're designing material looking at our material what do we actually want to perform what do we want to provoke forget about wonder and amazement look at the specific emotion that you want to bring out within someone and when you can put a very specific emotion that you can describe in a sentence that anyone reading it or any Anyone looking into your material can understand 
then it's perfect. Then you can withdraw that emotion out, just like films do, TV programs, just like music. You can withdraw that emotion, that specific tangible emotion, and that is going to heighten your material. Because I think the problem is when people are designing their material, they think, oh, this is a trick that'll create wonder. And it's just, it just boils down to just being a trick because that is so wide and varied. But when you can think about how you can provoke a specific motion, maybe it like sadness, for example, about a really beautiful routine, about a story of someone in your past. I don't know, it started going somewhere and then it, it fell off. But you get the point. When you can start tying it into that, you're going to be going into such more and more depth into your material. And then you come up with more beautiful routines, which people will actually give a damn about, actually care about, and talk about from time and time and time again. That's why me and you, Aiden, both get clients literally messaging us saying, oh my gosh, Aiden, it's been two weeks. Actually, it's been two weeks since the event. People are still talking about it like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant what you've done. And it's because we tie specific emotions to our material. Well, this is it. It's, it's the specific emotions and the fact that we're just really clear on the experience that we're trying to share. Because at the end of the day, we're rather than jumping and reaching for something that's so big and so uh, like intangible and, and so amazing for people... To, to help them, and here's the other line that we see a lot, to help them just step out of their day for just a moment and just forget about the rest of everything that's going on to give them this moment of wonder. And, and like all of that kind of just gets scooped in together and it just feels like a, a really poor version of what we're capable of as entertainers. And, and there's nothing wrong ultimately with trying to help somebody recreate wonder, but you have to define what that actually means you're not going to get wonder from person to person but you are going to get that next level thing if you think about it and if you intentionally go for it like you gave the example there of sadness ashley well a really uh, amazing experience of wonder might be rooted in somebody's uh, uh emotions and they're typically more somber and, and sad as I don't, I don't want to call people sad but there are people that have more tendencies and have a preferred emotion of sadness that really pulls on their heartstrings like I'm going to put my hands up here and say that when I watch movies and stuff, if there's at least an element where there's a tugging on my heartstrings making me feel a little bit sad, that movie resonates with me a whole lot more than just a a, a comedy because I'm, I'm really viscerally feeling something and that emotion is there. I don't necessarily feel amazement and wonder from that experience, but sure, like that's there. It, it's a possibility. And what I highly recommend people to do is Think about a time where you personally experienced true wonder, true amazement, and try and describe that feeling. What was it like? If you was to put this onto paper, what would this experience of wonder really look like? If you had to tell somebody what this wonder was like, how would you do it? And if you want a fantastic example of this done incredibly well, I would highly recommend that you go and grab the book, Here is Real Magic by Nate Staniforth. In there, he talks about uh, his entire journey to go and chase wonder, and the descriptions in there are just beautiful, but you can also see and feel that emotion, that raw emotion in a much more tangible level, rather than just, here's a card trick, I'm going to make you feel like wonder. And it's not just card tricks, we always bully card tricks on this show, because card tricks are an easy one to bully, uh, for various reasons, but it goes to the same as like the witch hand plot, like, I'm not going to get wonder out of guessing which hand a coin is in. Hypnosis. I'm not going to get wonder out of sticking somebody's hand to the table. I'm not going to guess wonder out of being able to predict which of 
item is going to be picked like it doesn't work like that and we need to we need to get out of that way of thinking and, and really go instead and shift to emotional impact and you can use variety actually that's another thing that's worth mentioning we did record an episode on actually using an emotion and i'm sure if you want to jump back you'll actually be able to go and find that episode but start sticking with more tangible emotions it's going to be so much easier for you and just on this if anyone resonates with today's episode today's short just a tip episode and you want to look into this further and you want to get more advice on this subject to really take your material to the next level. Is there a place where people can read into this further, Raiden? Well, I'll be honest. Um, I shared a bit more of my behind the scenes philosophy and approach to this whole wonder element. Uh, and I've shared it actually on the blog post on the TSM website. So if you head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash wonder, you'll get sent straight to the article. You'll be able to give it a read and then ultimately come and let us know what you think inside the TSM network. You'll be able to jump in and talk to other entertainers. We'll link the article actually in that network so you can come and share your thoughts. What are your opinions around wonder? We'd love to get this conversation going further because it's such a big, important one that I don't think anybody's addressing in this angle, in this manner yet. And I think I genuinely incredibly biased but i believe that if we stop chasing wonder and start chasing something better then we'll actually as a like a little byproduct we'll get more wonder out of our audiences but that's a conversation for another time inside the tsm network so go and find that article the successful mentalist.com forward slash wonder Hello and welcome to The Successful Mentalist. Of course, it's Ashley and Aidan here. And today, this is just a tip. Another midweek episode on Wednesday. A little bit of inspiration, thoughts and ideas to keep you on track within your entertainment business. Today, we're going to be talking about the biz the best ways to hand out your business cards. And before we start, I want to make a big point to all of you. So listen carefully. Lean in. I'm about to say something which all of you need to, as you two, Aidan which you all need to remember. Stop giving out your business cards at every single opportunity. It's a pet hate of mine and audiences hate it as well. Yeah, it's really annoying um, at the end of the day, like constantly forcing business cards down people's throats. And again, if you're anything like us, like, yes, business cards are really uh, important when it comes down to these uh like close-up interactions if you like they're they are an important part of actually getting more work and getting more gigs and uh, if you're anything like me which i know an awful lot of people listening to this podcast are like i have a blank uh, reverse side of my business card so that i can have people write words down write information do drawings and i can use that in my routines as my billets instead of having a stack of business cards a regular deck of cards and a another stack of blank cards like I just combined all of the decks into like one blank business cards uh, with my actual details on the other side. And again, what people fall into the trap of, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, is that I always used to give it out as a souvenir afterwards. Like, oh, you've, you've, you drew this, like, and I'll leave that with you or, or anything. I'd give that to them. And as a result, I thought that the other people around the table would feel left out, that they didn't get a business card. So I'd be giving them a business card as well in the hope that giving them and giving everybody business cards would actually get me more gigs. And Ashley, what's the truth behind dishing out loads of business cards? At the end of the day, it's just annoying. <laughs> like, from my own perspective of when I've been there at events and magicians have come up to me, it, it just feels like someone's trying to force a gig onto you. It's like... You've welcomed that person, and especially if we take a restaurant example, you're sat down at a meal, and then maybe the magician walks past, and you've let them in, 
you've let them enter that space, that little private space with you, your friends, your family, whatever, and they've blown you away with some amazing entertainment. And there's no smooth transition into it. It just seems like there's a clear cut at the end of the entertainment, and then it goes straight into, oh, by the way, here's a business card. Like, it just feels like, okay, thanks. And then you feel awkward because it's like, I know I'm not going to book you. I know it's a waste of money. You handed me that card. And then you start feeling awkward and overthinking it. And then on the other side, like you mentioned, like, we love writing stuff down and handing that out. It's the worst souvenir in the world, isn't it? To, to get a scribble and then just, just hand it out. I mean, you get the odd people which like it, but when you fill an entire table up with, like, ripped pieces of paper, stacks of business cards, it gets in the way and it's just... Just a pain. And it's not me saying it of when I've just personally been out to meals. It's just because I'm a magician. Like, I've seen this from clients' perspective. I've seen it from layman's perspective as well when they're out having meals. And, and this has happened to them or various other events. That the meal example at a restaurant was just an example. But the point still stands. Well, it's one of those things. It's like it's you've taken out and extracted the one awkward, horrible bit of n traditional networking events, like the whole networking events being the whole walking around, schmoozing, swapping business cards, going home and never doing anything about it, or, or, or supposedly filling your calendar with bookings and all of that stuff. That's old school networking. We talk about this an awful lot on the podcast and in other places, but it's, it's like taking that whole awkward interaction of, oh, here's a business card, forcing it onto people that aren't even going to those events and forcing it only in one direction because you're not asking for business cards in return or you're not doing a swap. It's just like, hey, book me or hey, follow me on Instagram. Hey, do something here it's like it's really uh it's just bizarre and it, it comes across as often quite desperate at the best of times because if you're sat there dishing them out constantly it, it i don't know about you ashley but i i personally feel that when i do things like that or did things like that big difference did things like that it always used to leave like almost an awkward or a sour undertone to the actual performance like i could go in I could be welcomed amazingly. I could do this incredible uh, routine, whatever that might be, probably which hand, because you guys know me at this point. I could do this incredible performance piece. Everyone loves it. And then I have to dish out all of the business cards and it all feels a little bit like, oh, yeah. do. And, and sure, you play to the laws of psychology. You've got that whole law of reciprocity in that you've done them a favour, so in return, they're more likely to do something in return for you. But it's not that straightforward when it comes down to the booking gigs. It, it just comes across really awkward and, and it does come as desperate. What What are your experiences with that? Well, it, it is desperate. If you was a good magician, then you wouldn't need to pester people constantly asking for gigs. So definitely that desperate part comes from it. But also you've got to actually do some research when you're actually doing gigs and when you're working on behalf of like uh, uh, venues or, or other clients you've got to make sure it's okay to hand out your business cards there because sometimes some venues and, and some clients and some bookers won't be happy with you handing out your business cards so if you are planning on doing it you actually got to make sure that it's okay to do in the first place well, I know there's a lot of, of gigs out there and especially if you get like referral gigs from other entertainers or you go onto like those gig listing sites, sometimes they could be really funny about, yeah, absolutely no way you can give out business cards here. And again, that's kind of uh, without going into too much depth. That's one of the reasons I also decided like I'm just going to use my business cards as tools because I'm not giving them away because they're part of like but anyway that's a, a, another conversation for another time how to use your business cards but yeah it does get awkward uh, if 
you're sat there dishing out the business cards and your booker, your client, somebody in the venue has to say that, yeah, we don't do that here. That's that's not welcomed. Because it, it freezes a lot of entertainers uh, who just think that that's the way that they're going to get the word out or, or get that brand awareness or get more people inquiring if they're constantly shoving business cards down their throat. And I, I, I do want to point out that business cards aren't all doom and gloom. Like, I, I've had people that have come up to me two, three years later with the business card, with the word or the reveal written actually on it, in their wallet still like oh my gosh i remember this a few years ago and they're showing me this business card perfectly intact still in their wallet like this is amazing and they're constantly coming back to see shows and see new things because they've been converted into a raving fan but they haven't just been converted into a raving fan then it came to how they actually got the business cards in the first place which is the new message the new angle that we want to share with you ashley Somebody wants their business cards out there into the world, and we're saying don't give them. What do we need to do instead? Exactly that. You've heard the hate and despise we have for these things, but here's my process if I want to hand a business card to a group. Well, first of all, I let them express interest in me and interest in potentially wanting me at a certain event. I drop hints throughout my performances, so if there's an opportunity there for something potentially further, they will naturally then ask me and they'll express their interest or I might see their interest. After that, I don't then just say, well, here's my business card because let's be honest, it's very easy to lose a business card. It's very easy to forget to call the magician or entertainer. It's too much effort on their part. It's much easier to do it this way. If they express interest, take their details first. Now I'm going to get a high in conversion because I've got their details. It's not too much effort for me because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that could be a thousand pound gig. I then hop on the phone to them afterwards. I've now got their details. It means I'm more likely to actually convert that date later down the line. After I've got their details, I then hand them my card and say, hey, my website's on there if you want to look at anything, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's so important, the point there that you're afterwards giving them, you're not never giving them your business card. You are still giving them your business card, but it comes after you've got their information. And and one of the things like I love doing as well is like doing the whole pat down the pockets of just, uh, in fact, can I get your information as I'm patting down the, the pockets to show that, oh, I don't know where my business, or I don't know if I've got any business cards kind of thing. And then when it comes down to it, oh, there is one in my pocket as I'm putting the phone away. All internal theory here. That's not what I'm actually saying to people. That's all going on inside my head. Otherwise, it'd be really awkward of like, oh, yeah, don't say what you do, but just act. It's panto. It's all panto. But it's much more intentional when you do it that way. And I think that's where a lot of entertainers fall wrong at doing this. The intent behind it, first of all, they just want to do it to just, get the business cards out because they think it's going to get a load of gigs when in reality that number's really low on that conversion the way we're saying to do it is actually lead those little drops throughout and if you listen to uh, the wonderful podcast interview with Ojin Foley that we've done there you're going to know all about dropping subtle little hints to get people to ask you and be interested in you to lead up to this point so go check that out if you're curious about diving deeper in there but now there's intent now there's reason so now it doesn't feel like you've just like goodbye to the entertainment here's a card right goodbye it's all transitioned and it all slowly moves together and then naturally i'm taking the time to talk to people on top and actually care about them and have proper conversation which is something we rave about all the time but yeah that's the proper way to do it so that you don't seem desperate 
and so that you actually have their details because that's going to be so much more useful than just handing them a card in the first place. Exactly. You're building the rapport. You're starting that relationship on a good note. And if I asked, say, if I was a complete lay person and I asked Ashley for a business card here and he took the time to ask me for my details, just to, like to make sure everything goes ahead and to make sure everything is all under control... Like I would be more confident in this person as an entertainer, as a person, as an entity, because they're actually showing that they actually care about this thing. And it's not like, oh, I'm just going to, yeah, just give you a business card. Yeah, my, my details are on there. You're actually taking the, the hard work out of the interaction and, and you're taking it out and keeping hold of it. And again, it's not really that hard to do from your angle either. So again, really important stuff. Actually stop giving your business cards out at every possible opportunity. Make sure that your performances are loaded in such a way that people actually want to have your business cards. And when they ask, don't give it to them, but get their information first and then supply the business cards. That is the key to actually getting good conversions off of these. That is the key to actually making sure that you're going to save a ton of cash on printing new business cards all the flipping time. And that is ultimately the key to creating really powerful demonstrations in close-up situations with long-term effects. Easy as that. So best of luck, guys. Go and smash it out there. And what we will do today is we'll put a little post in the network talking about the best ways in which you guys hand out your business cards because I'll be honest, we're really interested to know. And if you want to join in on the wonderful conversations we're having over in the, our own private community, head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash community, make your free account, log in, and you'll be able to see the post which we've made today talking all about the best ways that you guys hand out your business cards. We'll see you soon. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Just The Tip episode, mini episodes, mini podcast things that we're actually putting out here on the TSM podcast. My name is Aidan O'Sullivan and as always I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host Mr Ashley Green and today we're actually doing something a little bit interesting. I'm going to ask Ashley some questions about his favourite walk around effect because we get asked this all the time like what do you guys actually perform and pretty much everybody knows what I perform at this point. It's the witch hand routine or something thereabouts. But Ashley, you've got a really interesting character with a lot of different strings and you do an awful lot of things when you're performing. But if you was to pick your favourite walk-around effect, what would that be? I'll be honest, it's really simple. <laughs> it's stupidly simple. Something, one of the first things I ever learned when I got into magic and mentalism and it's known as the one-ahead principle. I absolutely love it and i think it's just perfect for everything that i do and i find it particularly amazing that you've gone with ah, let's not roll with an effect let's go with a principle because there's so much actually to it uh, and for those that are familiar or might not be familiar with the what ahead principle in short idea there being that you know a piece of information and you use that piece of information to get more pieces of information as you move through the routine absolutely fantastic and if you want a really actually quite a, a nifty little example of this uh, as i was doing some research for this episode i checked open uh, through corinda 13 steps uh, from corinda and i had a little look through and there was actually one uh, routine in there that actually i think you pretty much uh yeah, you'd really enjoy it. It's actually called Three Little Questions. And the whole idea behind that routine was that there were three questions written on uh, pieces of paper and the performer was able to work out those questions in a psychic-esque manner. It was really good, actually. Um, and for anybody that really wants to go to town on it and has probably walked to their bookshelf right now, if you've got the 13th edition, you can find that routine on page 189. But 
enough of the history lessons. I'm starting to feel like Max Maven here. But why is the one ahead principle your favourite thing to do in walk around? Yeah, sure thing, Max Maven. <laughs> <laughs> I, need to, I, need, I need a little bit of a hairline reduction, don't I? Or a, I need, I need yeah, a change your in my black and then sort it. Like have a little math, well, a little massive widow's peak on there. And anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> look, at the end of the day. The versatility of what we've got here, you know, this is something which you can do a lot of different effects with. It's going to work in all situations in close-up. Heck, like, if you want to take it out of close-up and change the example around, like, it's fantastic on stage as well. But the reason why I love it for close-up is when you're mingling, when you've got different groups involved, the main premise is you get three different pieces of information thought of. That's three different spectators you can have one from each group. You can have three different people already with like one short effect, one short trick. You've got more engagement, more people are involved. And it's a great way of bringing people together or bringing different groups together, which is what I like to do. There's so much versatility there. And on top of that, the actual principle itself is one of the best backups you can ever had. We had uh, previous episodes on this about what to do if you were... If you see uh, something on a billet and you can't read what it is, revealing difficult information, you don't know what it is, you don't know what someone's written down on uh, on a billet when you peek it, well, no worries, move into a one ahead. <laughs> it's the best backup in the world. I think it's really, really useful to actually know it and understand it. Uh, and if you don't know it or don't understand it, check your local cereal box because it's probably on there because everyone knows about it nowadays. Uh, but here's the thing, actually. There's usually when, when we say one ahead principle, most people think of like, oh, yeah, I don't like that because... Oh, yes, two pieces of information, and then uh, then I've got to reveal a card or force a card. And some people think, oh, yeah, I know that one. That's the one where you do the bit of the card there. Two questions here, kind of double-barreling it. Do you have to use three pieces of information, and does one of those have to be a playing card? I'll be honest, no. Uh, the, the idea is, obviously, you're one ahead, as the name suggests. I've done it before when I've been doing it to one person. I've made a mistake. And I've got them to think of something to get out of that scenario. I've just done it with two pieces of information equally. I think I've done it out to like seven or ten pieces of information before because I had a massive group and everyone's like, read my mind, read my mind, read my mind. And it was literally at the time the venue I was performing at was like, Ashley, you've got one minute till close. I was like, right, one ahead. I was like... <laughs> and then I just dumped them. I know in a previous episode we say don't dump people with business cards and billets, but in this scenario that was the only case. I dumped them with the billets. I said, get out the door, open them all up. And as we locked the door, like literally outside, we heard them just go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like 10 times as they opened up the different things. And you, you can do what you want. And I think this is a crucial point with uh, mentalism and magic overall. It's art. You can do what you want with this. You don't have to stick to the, the predetermined writing in the, in the tricks you buy. And finally, to top it all off, my pet hate is when someone does a one ahead principle and so that they're one ahead, they do the uh, the playing card force at the end. It doesn't make sense to have it at that position. If you think about the trick logically, what are you doing? Excuse me, madam, can you think of the most random word in the alphabet? Just to throw out an example. Excuse me, sir, can you think of a, a random number between one and a million? And, and you, madam, I, I know we've got these two incredible examples over here, but there's only 52 playing cards here. This is my big finale. I've, I've guessed that, I've guessed that, and now supposedly I've let you see the point. You've got big impossible thing, big impossible thing. And then it's like the last piece of mind reading you supposedly do in quotation marks is revealing a card immediately like the impressiveness 
dips. So what I prefer to do instead is actually get my one ahead information in a previous effect, in a previous routine, maybe an hour or so in the gig. And I store that information and I keep that on my notes in my phone, on a, on a billet where I'm keeping notes in my pocket. And I use that later on because that way I can keep up the impossibility. And in my head, well, it seems to flow nicer. There's no longer a dip. It's like, hey, two impossible things. And now a mere one in 52 is like, oh, okay. So so what we're saying here is like out and out, ditch the card and, and go for something else. And I know a lot of people will probably think, oh, yeah, I can force a card and then come back around an hour later. Or maybe people will be thinking, oh, well, I've... I, I don't want to do a playing card, but I do have a nice tarot deck at home. I'll just force one of those instead. Are we are we saying stay completely clear from restricted fields? Or are we saying, like, what sort of information would you replace a card with? Well, at the end of the day, if you're using a restricted field like a tarot deck or, or even a playing card, if you force a playing card ahead of time, then come back to it, it's still a 1 in 52, so it doesn't feel as impossible. And it, I don't think it flows as well. It's far better to, if you do something, maybe get someone to write something down on an impression pad earlier on. If you're getting someone to write something on a billet, have it as an additional info billet, and then you've got that additional info. So you reveal the word of sheep an hour before, but because they've written down their mother's maiden name, you've now got that to call back on when you do the one ahead routine. And now it's more impressive than just a playing card, right? 100%. And I think what's really important is that rather than just going for a piece of information that is particularly impossible or absolutely incredible, it has to be logical for the nature of the routine. And more importantly, it has to be logical in connection with your character. Because if you're here, this psychic being able to pick up on crazy information and you just ask somebody to pick a, a, a random word when actually the other two pieces of information are emotionally charged and it's a memory or a or a drawing that represents somebody or whatever the heck your routine might be it really has to sync with everything else that's going on otherwise it's still and i would probably argue it's still just as jarring as a playing card if not more so oh yeah this is one of the things which i've thought about for such a long time you know being one of like my favorite things i do literally everywhere in any scenario like we all have those effects and principles that we just love and always use it and and this is mine i've put so much thought into it and when i going back a year or two ago i was doing it with just like a random number a random word and then a piece of information because that's the norm that's like kind of how you're taught to do it right And then I thought about it and I went, my character can't actually reveal that type of information. If I'm coming across as a heavy psychic who uses their intuition to pick up on stuff through one of their five senses, how can I do that with a number? It would make much more sense to get someone to think of a memory from their past, someone who they love, and then maybe the weirdest object in someone's home. And now there's so much more to play with And for the revealing process, I can now go through and actually add presentation in between each one of those phases. So it's no longer, what are you thinking? Write something down. Ah, say it out loud as I drop it on the table. Instead of doing it like that and it'd be so linear, I still add the mind reading process in between. Okay, so if they're thinking of a memory, I throw out some guesses. I throw out some stabs in the dark. And I use my natural, genuine intuition to try and guess that. Equally, I might combine that with 
inserting readings in between the gaps. So the routine becomes so much more longer. But to the audience's perspective, it's like there's one piece of mind reading. There's another piece of mind reading. There's another piece of mind reading. And then it's all culminated at the end. Make sense where I'm kind of coming from there? 100%. And I think it outweighs the, the big problem with the, the whole one ahead principle is that you have to wait until the end before anything happens. Whereas actually here we've got logical information that makes it more interesting to pay attention to. We're adding genuine, useful process that is actual good presentation that people will be interested in naturally. And then on top of that, you're actually going for readings. So you're going for other hits not even based off of the information that you know, but you're going for other hits actually on there to help almost distance yourself from the trick that's actually going on here. And I think that's a really interesting and useful approach to actually looking at the one ahead principle. And again, I, I love this principle. I've seen you use it to great success on countless occasions. I totally see why it's one of your favorites. And if anybody out there is questioning the whole one ahead principle, not really wondering whether they should do it or not, please go out there and give it a go. Try it with these new little angles, these little spins that Ashley has just shared and put it into action and see the big, big difference behind think of this, think of this, pick a card. It is such a big difference and you're going to love it. Hello and welcome to The Successful Mentalist. Of course, it's Ashley and Aiden here. And this is another midweek episode called Just The Tip. You know, in these short bite-sized sections of knowledge and information, tips and ideas, it's just designed to keep you thinking and on track within your entertainment business. And today, well, today is going to be talking about something which, Aiden, you've been talking about for quite a while now, whether it's content online, content on your website, but today it's specifically about the tricks and what we're doing with our material. It is evergreen material. See, evergreen material is something that we've kind of been exploring for quite a while and I'm a huge fan of. So realistically right now, which well, let's actually have a little bit of a definition on that because I, I appreciate that most people listening to this will probably be thinking, what the heck is evergreen material? So for me, evergreen material is this whole idea that a piece of material, a trick, a routine, a thing that we actually do, whether we're a mentalist or a magician, can be duplicated and feel completely different just by changing the information revealed or the reveal actually of the trick. So what do we mean by that? Let's take a quick look at the example of uh, maybe somebody writes a piece of information, a word down on a billet, and you reveal that. Well, ultimately, this routine, providing we structure it right, if we change just one thing, that being the input, the actual information being revealed, in this case, the word, we can change that to pretty much anything that we like. And all that will change is the presentation. The method is going to stay the same. The actual handling, for the most part, will stay the same. And I would argue that it should stay the same. The only thing that is different is the way you present that piece of information in the reveal process. Essentially, what we're doing here is we're getting your one trick, that one piece of information, and turning it into something much more different so that in a theoretical world, you could be followed around by the same group every single performance piece that you do at a gig, and it would feel and look different every single time just because you've changed that one little uh, piece of information. And, and when you do that, what I'm a huge fan of it's turning all of my material or as much as I possibly can into this whole angle of evergreen so that I'm never having to do that thing that everybody that sees a magician does of pull out the next trick and then the next trick and then the next trick. It's like I don't need to change anything. I can pack lighter and get more bang for my buck. 
so to speak. Well, a nice thing is it just makes it more personal for your audience and it makes it more interesting for your audience. And you can create moments which seem like completely bespoke and unique for your audience, even though you might be doing the same baseline trick, the same baseline effect. It's just their experience. It feels like you've done something so unique and different from them, when in reality, you've only just made a few tweaks and changes. Well, exactly. That's it. It's the only thing that we really change is what they write down on the billet in this example. Now, this applies pretty much anywhere that you like. If you want to take a, a look in the whole world of, of magic and you say you do this routine, heck, uh, like the whole uh, tic-tac-toe is a huge thing. The noughts and crosses game, and then you spin that around and there's a reveal on there. Realistically, that could be a viable piece of uh, evergreen material because that end reveal, you could just change what goes in and the outcome is very, very different. Whereas ultimately, again, that's probably a bad example here because the, the, it looks the same, the whole process and the whole build-up. But you, the idea here is, look, we're thinking about what we actually want our audiences to, to feel and see in that moment and then actually giving them a piece of information to sort of latch onto that memory because as we've said on countless times stories are really important and the easiest way to create a story that people are going to want to talk about is using emotion and if you can use a piece of emotionally charged information whether that's uh, deeply personal or just absolutely hilarious or, or or it's really somber or whatever you like if you can do that by using evergreen material so rather than just write a word down Write a word that means something to you. Write a memory some summarized into one word. Write the most ridiculous word, your favorite word, like anything here. You put a spin on it. You get an emotion that you can use in the reveal process, which as a result is going to help people remember you and make things feel more different, feel more unique. Like you said, bespoke. Well, it's like in the last Just a Tip episode where I mentioned why my favorite thing I like to perform in close-up and, and stage as well is the one ahead because... Every single reveal in that, you can change at a moment's notice and it won't make it any more difficult for you. I think the crucial thing here is that people sometimes become kind of limited by, oh, this is the way the trick works. This is the way I've been taught it. This is the way the instructions tell it. And they never get out of that mindset of just actually, well, you can realistically do what you want. And when you do what you want, it's actually going to play better. And as you've said, you can now hit emotion. You can now hit it to be more bespoke. You can make it more personal. So now your audience is going to give more of a damn and actually pay more attention. I think it's one of those things that separates the trick from from you, more importantly. It, it takes it away and it puts a step in the way of actually just doing trick followed by a trick followed by a trick. For example, in the one ahead, like you mentioned it really well in the last episode, like it is so versatile. You can change the information and you can change your reveal process. It, like you could adjust those, yet the trick ultimately is the same from table to table, yet it looks wildly different. And, and again, by focusing on the people that you've got in front of you. For example, if I'm sat down and I find out that uh, I'm with a bunch of university students, one of them is studying law and another is studying graphic design or art or, or some creative subject i'm not going to say like write down a random word to or, or pick a card or something like that instead i've got this opportunity now that i know that a billet peak of any kind is evergreen material okay you're, you're naturally creative how about you you draw something Oh, how uh, you you deal with laws and fancy words and schmancy stuff like that? Okay, think of a word. Now, you've got a good vocabulary. Think of a word. And now we get to dip into their worlds a little bit more and extract them. And we, we're all for 
looking inwards at ourselves and bringing us and showing up as the most authentic version of ourselves in performance mode. But if we can go into our audiences just a little bit more, it's going to tell us so much more about them and lead to further opportunities going forwards. I remember seeing uh, Chloe Crawford actually do something similar to this in her online show at the end. Instead of doing a card trick, she'd done a card trick. The methods were a card trick, but instead of playing cards, it was like a little picture book with uh, little photos of like memories from her life. And it was a completely different dynamic than if she just done a bunch of color changes and productions instead of thinking wow that's cool we was like oh my gosh that's that's really beautiful that's a nice story and we was more captivated because of it and it, it just made it so much more personal in that moment but Aiden, i want to ask you a question i'm a magician sat here at the moment i'm listening to this podcast and i'm thinking okay okay evergreen material is a great way of of getting material which is very flexible for very different situations which will work wherever it makes it more personal or more interesting I'm really struggling to see how I can implement that and how I can do it. Where would they start? Well, one of the most important things that I found when exploring the whole evergreen material concept was to literally take stock of everything that I'm performing right now. Either performing routinely at gigs is like the most common things or, or set one for a lot of people, uh, set two and set three. Look at all the different sets and tricks that you actually perform or have performed at gigs. And whether that's in close up and stage or just anywhere you like, Look at what you're performing right now and think, how would this trick be completely different if I changed the information going in? Nothing else. I, I would probably even go to the extent of just saying, like, what you have in terms of props is all you have. You have the same props. How do you make that feel different? For example, if you've got a bunch of blank billets and what you use those for was a, a, a word reveal perfect example here for using lots of different information you can have a drawing you can have a number you can have a name you can have lots of different things there and this is just a one really obvious example here but if you look across your entire performance repertoire and start thinking of the things like ah hang on a minute on stage right here i have somebody write something down that then correlates with a word or I don't know, pick your own material here. I'm just making this up because it's not off the top of my head that I, I create that stuff. But look at what you've got right now and just change the input, change the piece of information that you're going to reveal at the end and see what like you can play with there. You don't change anything else. It, it technically means that you're getting at least one more trick out of the trick that you've just bought. If it's a, if it's an obvious online trick that you've bought, like you get more out of it just by thinking, what can I change at the end and put in at the start? And how can that change the entire premise, the presentation of the routine? Absolutely golden. There's your advice. There's everything you need to know. So look, that is such an easy way of making your material. I would argue just better, like just, just baseline, just better in general because of everything we've mentioned. But then again, Adam, if that so-called magician was sat here thinking, okay, I was struggling with my material, struggling to change it to evergreen. Okay, I understand where to do that. But is there any more resources where I can read about this further? Is there anywhere they could go? It's funny you mentioned that because there actually is. Uh, if you head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash evergreen, again, the link is in the show notes, but that's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash evergreen. There's a complete article 
on there that I've written on this approach, this philosophy, sharing some little insights on how I was able to do this, how you guys can actually do this with the material that you've got so far, and some other little thought-provoking ideas and concepts and questions to really dig into this. Because again, as you said, Ashley, it makes your material better. It makes it more engaging. It means that you're more flexible as a performer, which is well, I would say it's been proven, but we have proven through the, our training and our clients' training that that is the most important thing that you can do as an entertainer. Be flexible in the moment. And evergreen material just gives you that little edge to actually making that happen. So again, if you want to check out that complete article, head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash evergreen. Hello and welcome to The Successful Mentalist. Of course, it's Ashley and Aidan here. And with these short, mini, bite-sized, just-to-the-tip episodes, we're just sharing a little idea, a little thought, a little bit of something to keep you on track within your life or entertainment business or health or mindset or anything like that overall. So if you want to listen back to any of the other videos, feel free. If you want to listen to any of the other ones on the podcast, just scroll back. There's loads of stuff out there. It's the 24th one today, Madness. But today we're going to be talking about something which really has been on everyone's mind since they got into magic and mentalism. And it is that thing of what do you do if you get caught doing something? Someone sees you double lift, your billet switch. What do you do then? I mean, there's so much, isn't there? Like when you get busted, it's the one thing that we don't want and we ruminate on and we think about. We go into this fear response of panicking over and over and over. And in fact, if you think about this yourself uh, as a listener or a watcher on YouTube, a viewer, think about like what a time that you perhaps got caught uh, by something, whether that was a, a method, a, a reveal or a process or something where an audience member knew something that they shouldn't. And in fact, let's think about this in, in the close-up context, because most people here tend to jump into either the fight or the flight response. They either fight the situation by trying to overprove that, no, it is just one card. Look, you, look, you hold it. And it gets really awkward and uncomfortable. And it's then obvious that there's some something fishy going on. And then you've got this whole flight thing where people just sort of run away and, and and disappear and like it's awkward and you try and ditch the trick or move on as quickly as you possibly can and you just steamroll through it like we've done both and we've tried both but actually there is a new uh sort of angle if you like to approaching this whole conversation of what to do when you get caught it's something that we spent a long time actually debating should we do it like this or should we not but ultimately it's a complete yes and actually what is that thing that we should be doing if somebody catches us Look, at the end of the day, and maybe if I give this as, as an example here, picture this, because um, I've had things go wrong in the past, and it's not just because I'm a bad performer and I need to practice it's terrible, more. ladies and gents. <laughs> terrible, terrible performer. If that one or two minutes of practice, maybe I should do more. No, <laughs> moving on. Um, look, picture this. I was at my residency in a bar, and I was performing. I had my little kind of like, uh, there's a, close-up table already there and a close-up mat there was about i think seven or nine people in front of me i was behind uh, this little mock stage area for kind of close-up and i wrote something down on a billet placed it on the table and the idea was someone there was going to think of something and then it was going to be predicted on the folded billet there anyway the routine goes by i do the dirty work i uh, get them to name it i then do the switch and the guy just on the right he saw me he caught me eagle-eyed bang what did i do in that moment if you think about it 
it's a bit of an inconvenience for me considering I'm going out there saying I'm psychic and then someone catches me doing silly little magic tricks, you know? But at the end of the day, my big thing is entertainment. As long as people have fun, as long as they smile, that's all that matters. So what did I do? I look over, I wink, let him know that I've acknowledged it, and then I put my fingers to my lips and go, shh. And then I say to him in front of the whole group, Oh, you're going to love to see how this all happens. Now that you know how it's done, just watch their minds explode. Like, everyone else is confused because to them, what do, what do they, what does he mean? Like, that doesn't make sense that, that sentence that I've just said to him because they're like, I, I don't kind of get that. But to him, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense because he's literally saw the move so he can link the sentence to that. And then on that side, I've already got him on side. He's already smiling. He feels like a little bit excited. He knows a secret. And then he gets a pleasure in watching it from the magician's perspective to see the whole audience kind of go crazy. But then again, that's just a scenario when one person from the group sees how the effect is done. But Aiden, what happens, say, for example, you're at a table, you're performing to like 12 people and every single person there sees that you've done your double lift or switch or whatever. What do you do then? Well, it goes even before that. If like that one guy in this example decides to say it out loud and, and call you out on this, either addressing your method or, or doing the whole, oh, I saw that. And then it, it takes away from that entire moment from everybody and, and puts that doubt of, uh, that doubt amongst what you're actually doing in the eyes of everybody. Because yes, at the end of the day, everybody realistically on some level understands and appreciates that we are doing some form of tricks. Okay. That, that's it at the end of the day. And when people know that somebody in the group knows how it's done, it kind of crumbles it a little bit, not hugely, but a little bit. And again, what we tried to do in this situation is we either jump into this whole fight or flight fighting with an entire group to prove that no, you're holding one card or you didn't switch it whatsoever, or you just admit defeat. You just admit well done for being, being like so eagle eyed or something like that and admit that yes, they have caught you in this moment in time. There is nothing that you could do. Admit the defeat. Give them the win. And I know that sounds incredibly counterintuitive and, and not what we should be doing as entertainers, but I promise you that when you stop trying to hide something that somebody has spotted and start accepting that and reframing this sort of negative by either layering it on with extra, extra benefits, as you said there, Ashley, bringing them into the mystery, that's so important because they're building up that rapport with you. They're actually building up that engagement. They respect you as a performer, as an artist, because they can now at least see behind what you're doing. And one of the things that I found particularly useful is uh, actually telling a story of another time that I got an amazing reaction from the trick. And what we're doing there is we're distancing our performance with the trick. Yes, they know how the trick is done, but the performance is where we're talking. We're talking about other people's reactions here. We're building up that story, which is the question we're always asking ourselves. What is the story that we want these people to go home and talk about? Is it the fact that, ah, yes, we saw a magician, he was a bit rubbish, we saw how he did his trick, move on. It's not an interesting story. But... Oh my gosh, like we saw a magician today. Yeah, it was amazing. He came over to our table when we went out for lunch. Yeah, he came over. It was, it was great. Uh, silly Steve, like crazy Steve actually caught it. It was, it was funny. It was so funny. It was really good. But honestly, it was so funny when we caught that one thing. Arguably a much better story here rather than just, yeah, they busted it. Move on. It, it hides that process and just distances us from the, oh, negative there. No, 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 no. We've been caught. 
Well, you're getting that more of like on that deeper level. There's more rapport between you and you're just heightening the engagement overall because look, at the end of the day, there's nothing worse than going out and just trying to clash heads with your audience. You're there for entertainment purposes only. That's the only job why any of us do this, just to entertain, make people smile, have a good day, blah, blah, blah. That, that is it, baseline level. So if you're going out and someone catches you and it's brutally like, obvious what you've done and they've seen it there's nothing worse than trying to deny it and clash with them and prove them wrong because now it's you battling them and are you there for a fight or to entertain i mean if you are there for a fight then by all means do that and ignore all of this but if you're not and if you're like the rest of us that just want to entertain then it's like yeah bring them into your world like hey ho and then move on and what you've said there is something really beautiful you can actually play this into a moment you get caught doing your double lift well, you can be like, ha ha, you caught me and then move in naturally through the trick. When you move on to the next effect, you can encompass that in and say, right, now what I'm going to do, uh, Brian, uh, if you could, Brian's the one who caught me, Brian, if you could just position yourself, see your face in that door over there, yeah, looking in the opposite direction. Anyway, for you guys, let me show you this. And like, you make a little <laughs> funny moment because like Brian caught you beforehand. They know how awkward in quotation marks that is for you. So now you're actually turning a negative into a positive you're going with that almost that heckle or disruption or just the mistake and you're turning it into something fun and funny and you're playing with it isn't that what good comedians do they take these little unexpected moments and they just power ahead with it and it makes it so unique so bespoke for that moment that people will like you've said Aiden go away talking not how good your tricks are because at the end of the day if people are going away talking about how good your tricks are you've done a wrong job they should be talking about you and doing what we've just described here means they will they're going to talk away and say those stories which you want Aiden which I want Aiden and which everyone else should be getting of wow what a fantastic entertainer it really made the day better well you you've also touched on something there in terms of like the comedians do this like they they pick out on people and they turn it into a moment and that becomes a running joke well imagine the power of having that running joke preloaded in your audience without having to work and think of it on the fly and what we mean by that is like okay brian in this case or crazy steve you choose whoever decides to actually work out exactly what you're doing they they spot how you do it you can take that opportunity there and, and we're going to talk more about this in next week's just the tip episode but you can take that opportunity that gag that rolling bit and use it later you don't just have to do it in that moment through the routines that you're performing there and then heck you connect and keep those guys actually on your on your email list or in your audience in your network whatsoever they come and buy a ticket to your show two three months down the line a year down the line you know a something and you've got a story a funny exciting story about this person and if they're sitting in your audience you have a perfect opportunity to address them point them out and share a moment with them because that's going to build the rapport between you and if you're building that rapport between yourself and just one member in the audience that's going to correlate to other members of the audience as well. It's going to show you as more personable, friendly, real-life human being, which is such an advantage when it comes to later opportunities as well. Just because you had that one moment and you didn't try and fight your way through an uncomfortable situation. Exactly that. So to round up today's episode, we want to recap. If you get caught, there's going to be times in which I've had it before. Someone sees me peek a word on a billet and say, hey, did you look at that? In which case, there's an opportunity for me to save my skin there. I put it down. I say, I tell you what, just 
think of something instead, something I couldn't peek, something I couldn't look at, something only in your mind. I've kind of addressed it, but at the same time, I've adjusted and moved the routine into something else. What am I going to do there? It's one of my favorite routines and principles I mentioned two episodes ago and just a tip, the one ahead. Move into that, bang. I've adjusted, I can save my skin. But if you can't, if it really is just like, it's a mess. Heck, go with it. Admit defeat, be sincere. Don't clash with your audience. It's only going to just cause negativity and it's not what you're there for. It's going to make you look not as great a performer as you could be. And heck, you know what? As Aiden would always say, because he loves this, take it as good feedback. It's an opportunity to grow. It's highlighted what you need to practice on and so much more. So take that, use it and win. Exactly that. Feedback is such a great opportunity. And this is just one way that we like to correct it and, and use it to our advantage. So we'd love to know. We'd love to continue this conversation with you guys, our listeners and our viewers on YouTube. What do you do? If you get caught, do you have any nightmare stories that you'd be willing to share with other entertainers? If so, if you're listening to this podcast, we've shared a post inside the TSM network today. We'd love to hear your thoughts or your crazy stories about getting caught, either up close or on stage. Come and head over and join that conversation. If you're not a member of our community, our social learning network, head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash community and you'll be able to sign up enter your login details, get inside and join that conversation. And equally, if you're watching this on the wonderful world of YouTube, drop a comment on the video and we'd love to hear what you have to say. In that case, uh, we'll see you guys next week for another episode of Just The Tip, where we're going to talk a little bit more about creating opportunities further and beyond the gig, something we hinted upon today, but you guys are going to love it. Catch you next week. In order to use opportunities at your gigs, you must do one thing, and that thing is to place down your deck of cards, begin your trek for days, weeks, months, years, across the deserts of the world, across the sands of time, up the Himalayas, in order to enter the mystery cave at the top, to then be walked in and greeted by the guru himself sitting around this fire, and you sit down next to this guru and drink some of his guru juice or whatever the heck they give you in these places so that you can then stare into the fire and be opened up into a world of your subconscious and and obtain true wisdom so that you can then stop looking at this fire and stop drinking this guru juice and leave the cave and walk down the Himalayas again and back across the sands of time and the deserts of the world to return back to your hometown to pick up your deck of cards to go out to your gigs and start using those opportunities wisely that is the path to true wisdom or not if you're new here my name is Aidan O'Sullivan and today we're going to be talking about using gigs wisely I'm not doing this podcast on my own. I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Ashley Green. Not after that intro, you know. I don't want to drink any guru juice. I'll be quite honest. I'll leave that nice and ambiguous for the listeners right there. But again, this is the Successful Mentalist podcast, and we're teaching uh, across this entire platform at TSM, teaching you the fundamental things that you need to do in order to optimize your business, your mindset, your performance, and your health so that you can live an improved quality of life as an entertainer, get thriving and hustle-free, and just live the life that you've always wanted to. And one of the questions we get asked an awful lot, and in fact, we get asked a lot of questions about marketing and the 
whole aspect of, oh, how do I get myself new gigs? And how do I do the marketing for my job? It's all so complicated and I have to do every TikTok video on the planet to then get Instagram video. It's all blooming confusing at that point. And what we want to present here is this idea that you can, without going all the way up to the Himalayas and drinking guru juice, start using opportunities at gigs wisely. And Ashley, what do we mean by the looking for these opportunities? I'm, I'm done after the intro, to be quite honest. Uh, We're rolling with it. We've taken a weird turn, a weird vibe for today. But uh, the mindset uh, guru has drinking. really gone uh, to mindset guru, <laughs> I guess. Um, wow. I, I'm trying to, trying to steer this back on course, but if I crack up, that's fine. Um, at the end of the day, we need to start looking into the future. What's going to come after the gig? You know, if we have to be using these gigs wisely, then we can't be doing what a lot of entertainers out there do. And don't get me wrong, they do it quite well. They go and rock up, they do some cracking entertainment and leave. No, we have to be using and looking for more opportunities. What could come after this gig? What are we looking to achieve in the future? Are there any people there at that gig that could help you? Are the staff there? Could they lead to some opportunity in the future? Maybe having further conversations with the bookers or staying around afterwards to fully network and chat with people. You can get so many opportunities when you start looking at gigs differently and start realizing there's stuff in there which you might get, whether it be, I mean, we're going to cover it today, but more stuff for the future kind of makes sense there's more opportunities you've got to look for it yeah i think it's really uh, a key that we speak a lot and again if you want to look at it from a surface level gigs for gigs kind of thing you want to make your marketing process easier and you want your entire entertainment career to be easier if you start looking for more opportunities at the events and the situations that you find yourself in right now you're going to be opening so many doors and heck you you can do this at a gig that you've got literally i've got a gig coming up this weekend and i know that at this weekend's gig I'm going to be introduced to an awful lot of people. And I know that just because of the, the the sheer volume and diversity of people that are going to be at this event, there's going to be so many opportunities to either collaborate, connect, and get an event out of it, get an introduction. There's going to be so many different things. And that's because I'm already thinking about them and preempting them so that when it comes down to the gig, I could just tap into this knowledge and just start getting these opportunities at a moment's notice and get more gigs more or raving fans of all of my work i can get more engagement at the gig because i'm looking at better opportunities and making the gig better and long term and there's so much there actually isn't there well yeah i mean look let's break this down what opportunities are there first of all well you might be getting another gig you might be getting uh, a referral to maybe work for someone else someone might see you there and then refer you to one of their friends who might be getting married or one of their friends that run a company and does a, a corporate event or any other things equally you might have introductions to suppliers uh, equally you might be able to get rebooked uh, at that venue again equally you might find someone who is just a fantastic contact with help which will help you with something personally or professionally you know there's so many good things that we can find but we just have to open our eyes and start realizing that every person we meet and speak to there's going to be an opportunity there it's just what that opportunity is how much time we want to invest into kind of getting that opportunity and then finally to just make sure it comes up in conversation so just speak to people and be nice we, we've done a load of podcast episodes on that but really that's it and when you start doing this 
yeah, it's going to make your life more easier. It's going to make your entertainment business more easier because if you're getting more gigs from doing gigs, then you don't have to worry so much on marketing. You don't have to worry on silly Facebook ads and all of that because it's literally like, oh, I do a gig, I've got three more. It's an easy process. Exactly. And we, we love this whole way of thinking of like the whole what if angle of things. Like what if something incredible could happen out of this? What if this one gig that's coming up could turn into another one gig? What if this one gig could turn up into 10 gigs? Heck, what if this one gig or this one show or this one event could turn into 30 gigs? And this is the exact process and the mindset that we use when working with Oshin. Uh, again, he dropped a, an absolute zinger of an interview a little while back definitely go back and listen to that uh, and we explored the approach of actually landing 30 gigs in 10 days flat because of this what if mentality because he was looking at long-term opportunities that could show up as a result of this one thing and i suppose the obvious to to really give a tangible example on what this looks like not just hey do you have a gig coming up well realistically if you're doing a show in maybe two months time and you needed to get people and sell tickets and get some bums on seats for that show otherwise it's going to be an empty room and look very much like my shows don't do that um or, or maybe or <laughs> it's because you've been having it. too much guru juice that's why no one wants to come mate guru juice gotta love it but if you if you want to basically put the message out there and get more people in for your shows you can either go one-to-one selling tickets to individual people, which is a very proven, very valuable method. Or you could just have a lot more people in your database, in your audience, whether that's across your social media platforms or your email list or anything like that, so that when it comes down to pushing information out there, more people are going to see it and more people will be able to respond to it. And the easiest way to build your, your email list or build your social media following is to go to gigs and, and really use the opportunities there to get people onto something like your social media platform, actually get people onto or into a place where you can continuously connect and nurture them over the long-term situation. Because look, say there's a 100 people at this gig that you're going to go and perform at, that's not just one person that you're going to go and talk to there, the person that's booked you, that's 100 people. And if they've got event staff and uh, other suppliers there doing different things, you've got so many people on site that you can talk to. And if you get all of those onto your email list, well, I'd rather be more comfortable sending an email with over 100 people getting it to sell tickets to my show than sending it to four people. Not saying I've got four people on my email list, but um, if they all hear this uh, with me jacked up on Guru Juice, they probably will all leave, leaving me with just four people. And those other four people might be really excited to come on a Guru journey with me. Who knows? Who Bloody knows? Hell. <laughs> Look, at this point, I want to I want to tell you a story about something that really happened for me, Adam. Uh, about two years ago, I was performing uh, at a residency where every good magic story starts, and. Um, I had no idea what I was performing back then, but it was two years ago, so it's probably rubbish. Because <laughs> a lot's changed since then. But anyway, the person I was performing to really liked me. Luckily, I was always in this mind of like looking for the future, looking for other opportunities. At that time, that person was just a person. I didn't really know much about them. I knew they were a student, but I got them on my social media and I stayed in contact every so often with them. Two years later, coming to present day they get in contact and say hey by the way i'm now working as the sales and events exec at this beautiful beautiful hotel in cambridge 
We'd do high-end corporate events. Oh, and we'd also be interested in putting on a gala dinner with a show. Right, what a fantastic opportunity. And that all came around. A fantastic inquiry like that, golden, all came around because when I was performing, I made sure to keep my audience. And in this instance, I put them on Instagram, followed me on Instagram, and then I maintained conversations. Not every day, not every week, just every so often. And, you know, during the lockdown period, we had a hot on, gave a free tarot reading just to keep us sweet, happy, occupied and entertained. It was a fantastic opportunity for me to get a nice review for my tarot readings, but that's by the by. And she remembered me. She remembered me not just because of the tricks and the cool stuff I'd done back then, but because I took the time to speak to her. That's how it sunk in, and I guess now she can't forget me. She's got a beautiful story about why I'm the best magician for every single event, because I'm so caring, so considerate, and she bloody loves what I do. And she's always remembered me because she's always getting up to date with my stuff on social media and the private chats I'm having with her. This is it, isn't it? It's one of those situations where you was able to identify what opportunities you'd like long term. And even if you don't know what those opportunities are, well, the perfect opportunity there is to get them in a position where you can nurture or communicate with them over a longer or an extended period of time until opportunities, uh, until opportunities show up. And again, Ashley, you know this, but everybody that's been uh, following sort of my philosophy and my way of thinking throughout my my journey, it's like you have to take every opportunity that you get and every opportunity that is potentially there because you just never know who's going to buy a ticket to your next show. And that is an invaluable way of thinking going forwards. And again, ultimately, you might not know what opportunities you want out of things. But again, look at where you're going. Look at what it is that you actually want to be doing long term. And actually, where do you want to take your, your entire journey? Is it out there into the world of, uh, of guru ships in mountains? Or is it out there into maybe international stage performance? It doesn't matter where you're going at this point, providing it matters to you. And, and use that to start creating the opportunities that are going to pave the way to get you there. Because that's going to make your entertainment business far easier it's going to make it much more simple and straightforward to actually do and it's going to be much more exciting and interesting along the whole point of the journey 100 percent. that's it and it all starts sucking on some guru juice and then the main thing once you've been enlightened keep an eye out look for opportunities and keep an eye out for the future because just because you're doing a gig doesn't mean you should go away and leave and just think oh i've done a great job as entertainment that's rule one it's looking beyond, looking what you can get and always staying aware so that you can pursue and get so much more out of every single thing that you do. And, and if you guys want to actually jump in and we'd love to know and continue this conversation, if there's anything that you do to actually maximize opportunities that you get at gigs, we'd love to know. If you're a member of the TSM Social Learning Network, our private community for TSM fans and podcast listeners, we'd love to actually hear your thoughts on the recent post that we literally shared today, the day this episode actually went live. And if not, you can jump back and search it in the search bar. And if you're not even a member, and over to the successfulmentalist.com forward slash community. You'll be able to sign up, log in and come and join these conversations. And equally, if you're watching this on YouTube, drop a comment below and we'd love to hear your thoughts. How do you maximize these opportunities as an entertainer and at these gigs? Until next time, I've been Aidan O'Sullivan. Ashley has been over there and we're both about to go on a long mystical mission to go and drink some guru juice. Ah. Uh.
Fantastic. We'll see you soon, guys. Hey, it's Aiden here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would really mean the world to us if you just took a moment to leave a rating and a review on your preferred podcast player. That way it just helps us grow the show and get it into the ears of more listeners across the world in a non-creepy way. Also, when you're ready to roll, here are three ways that we can help you right now. Number one is to join our free Facebook group. It's called the Magician's Business Group, and we're creating the most valuable space on the internet for entertainers that are looking to grow and improve their business. We'd love you to join us inside, so to do that, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group, and the magic of the internet will take you straight there, or just pull open Facebook and search for the Magician's Business Group. Number two is to take our new quiz. It'll help you find the biggest opportunity in your entertainment business right now. And in just a few quick questions, you'll be presented with a seven minute breakdown of your biggest opportunity and how you can actually go about tackling that to help increase your entertainment business and boost it completely. In order to take the quiz, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. And we'll be able to get you your results. Number three, momentum. If you'd like to make an extra two grand a month in magic without paying a penny for advertising, we'd love to help you. Our latest coaching program, Momentum, is designed to get you booking gigs every single week for at least £500 so that you can be growing your entertainment business without having to worry about websites or business cards or advertising or any of that kind of stuff. To find out more, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum, and we'll send you all of the details.